I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always... I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Coach G. That's the nickname I'm throwing out there today for Gerald, Gerard, the Hurricane. Gerard, how you doing today? I'm good. How about you, Mr. Trevino? It's uh, it's been pretty rainy. You know, I, spring practice started up again yesterday. I was uh, in the elements for pretty much you know four hours, not four hours, but. We stood outside in the rain for practice, watched practice in the rain, got to warm up, and then we're back out, got moved inside to the downstairs facility to do interviews because the rain was starting to pick back up again. So, you know, I wasn't with you yesterday, but it felt like a hurricane was a was a part of me, despite, you know, not being with you. You also had to do pro day in the rain, correct? I did not go to pro day. I, okay. I have not. I pick and choose my pro day. Last pro day, I went to the one before that which was uh, pretty hot. Today was, or uh, this past pro day was rainy, obviously. The last rain pro day I did was the Sam Darnold pro day, which uh, everyone came out to see Sam Darnold throw in the rain. And it probably didn't even compare to the amount of people that were at the Reggie Bush pro day, as you've mentioned several times. No, not at all. The last pro day I was at, I can't even remember who the top, player was but i want to say it was probably the lane kiffin era as head coach pro days are not very fun to cover in my opinion they're pretty boring there's a lot of standing around and it just um i mean for my purposes and kind of what i do it's uh not necessarily very entertaining I mean, insightful. I don't know. I do watch the NFL Combine, and I watch that uh, very closely. But uh, the pro days, I don't know. They just have never been. Uh, I've been Your never thing? much. Pro days and spring ball game are two very worthless events in terms of like us as as reporters and what you get to see and what you get out of it. In my opinion, that's just you know twenty years of working it. I just never really felt like, oh man, I really missed something <laughs> in that pro day. So you're saying those are the lowest on the. The hurricane power rankings, pro day. And yeah, in game. terms of events to cover that are important, that you actually get something from and you feel like you walk away going, man, we learned something today. Yeah, th- those would be uh, lowest on the food chain. And what's number one? I guess outside of a game? I don't I don't even know. Like fall camp <laughs> with Pete Carroll used to be like way, way up there, you know? But now we don't get to cover fall camp. So it's, it's sort of like... You can't really list it as number one when we don't get to really see much from it. Um, but, yeah, man, when you see real football, man, when you see pads, real football, intense, flying around competition, like that's that's what it's all about. And, hey, man, we got to see some cool stuff this past weekend, or at least I got to see some cool stuff along with JP Five Stars Only in Santa Ana this weekend. 
You should come to the uh, the media day with all the coaches they give us before spring camp. They did that last year, which is they brought every coach in, and then you could just like talk to them at tables, and you could just like they're there for like twenty minutes at a time. I think you would like that, just knowing pick pick their brains for you for uh, football stuff. I think you would we, enjoy that. We did that last not last was it last year? Yeah, last year we did that last year where they brought them in and uh, they were just at the podium and we asked them questions. That was basically the introduction of the entire coaching staff outside of. Uh, Lincoln Riley. We we talked to everybody um, in person outside of uh, Josh Hinton, who was um, we got him on the big screen. He was there remotely, so I don't know what was with that. But we did talk to everybody else, and it wasn't at tables, but basically got our questions answered with them, and um, that was you know good. It was just uh, kind of a a meet and greet of sorts and, and what have you. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm all about seeing real football, man. <laughs> like there's so much superfluous uh you know stuff that's you know leads up to the games and everything anymore and there's a lot of stuff that's like uh, simulated football so when you actually get to see the real thing it's like oh wow yeah this is what it's all about and so anything that's close to that is what i'm up for well definitely wasn't real football that you took in over the weekend but gerard and five stars only jared perez were busy they were out at car intermediate Middle school, junior high, I don't know, whatever it is. But they were there again for the Pylon event out in Southern California. There was a pretty impressive team out there, Cali Power, California Power. I don't know how you want to say it. But they also took their unofficial visit to USC. A bunch of prospects on that team, David Stone, Booker Pickett, uh, Jalen Harvey, not part of Cali Power, right? He's part of a different team. No, he's part of California Power. Okay, so all these guys part of this uh, California Power team that seems to be like a a true AAU team of guys from all over the country put together defensive linemen, offensive linemen, however you want to call it. We'll get more into that, but Gerard was out there all weekend for that. I was unavailable to cover that. I was drafting a fantasy baseball team. Not that anyone cares, but... We got a bunch of evaluations and updates from Gerard and Jared talking to all these kids that uh, made their way through USC for what was another big unofficial visit weekend. We have a couple new offers out. We have we're going to talk a little bit about Dylan Rayola, Douche Robinson, some top eleven stuff. We do got a bunch of questions actually that got uh, added to the list this morning, so we're going to have fun talking about that. Gerard, we have. Plenty to talk about, but before we get into all of that, just an official reminder of the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. You know her, you love her. That's Meredith Schlosser, the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales, more than, five, excuse me, 200 five star Zillow reviews. Almost said 500. Soon it will be 500, but right now it's just more than 200. Meredith has represented Jeannie Buss, the president of the LA Lakers. And a one star like me, Chris 10K Trevino. Merit is backed by a full service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the country, not West Coast, the country. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S C H. 
L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Seriously, she's the best. Make the decision. Go with her. You will not regret it. Gerard, let's get into the cold open, which is a sort of a long cold open because a bunch of unofficial visitors. You got to see a bunch of these kids in person, you know, not real football, but a seven on seven, some offensive line one on one stuff, a bunch of things going on. Can you kind of describe what this event was? Yeah, it was uh, the Pylon Tournament, which Pylon is always associated and has been associated many years with 7-on-7. They have the big 7-on-7 tournament in Mesquite, Nevada, which is at the mecca of 7-on-7. It used to be in Las Vegas proper, and then they moved it up north to Mesquite. So Pylon has been around for a number of years, and recently they've incorporated, as some other 7-ons have incorporated, lineman competitions. Sometimes these lineman competitions are just Obstacle courses, if you will, and they've got, you know, tug of war and uh, tire flipping and things of that nature. This was all five on five. This was basically you set up your five best linemen uh, or a rotation of linemen and you have offense going against defense and it's one on one. So it's five on five, but only one player on offense and only one player on defense are going to compete against each other for two reps. It's going to be one rep and then they're going to come back. And they're going to do another rep. And it's a pass rush uh, one-on-one. It's, it's basically the offensive lineman is going to be in pass pro. And it's going to be off of his movement. And then the defensive lineman is going to go off of the offensive lineman's movement and try to get to the back. And so um, it, uh, it's something that we've seen for, for many years, various different camps. It's being incorporated more on the seven-on-seven circuit, which I think is great. I mean, we really miss out on seeing linemen for so much of the year. And that's really important just to eyeball these guys and see, you know, what kind of weight are they gaining? How much bigger are they getting uh, over the offseason? And how is that going to impact where they play on the offseason? So uh, just from an eyeball standpoint, it's important. But obviously, when you incorporate the movement, the competition, the physicality, uh, who's out there, who's not out there, I think it's all very important. So you got to see a lot of these edge rushers, defensive linemen, offensive linemen. Just like off the top of your dome, like who were the like top three guys that impressed you the most? Guys, you know, from out of state that you haven't seen before. And I guess in general, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. But from the whole event, it sounds like this was mainly focused on checking out D-line guys. Yeah, well, I think that's in terms of the guys that USC are pursuing. And that's my job is to mm. cover the guys that USC is pursuing. So, you know, obviously... You have guys like Greg Biggins and you have Brandon Huffman and you have Steve Wolfbong and you have Blair Angulo and you have the national and regional guys that are looking at players, uh, for, you know, by territory and, and looking at them um, just as a general sort of recruitment. Whereas we sort of specifically looking at the players that USC is recruiting with the frame of reference of what USC needs. Uh, you know, defensively, what they're looking like, offensively, what they're looking like, schematically, you know, what the fit would be. And so you kind of bring that to the table when you evaluate and you watch these players. And so, you know, with the defensive side of the ball, obviously that's the talk among Trojan fans. And it has to be the talk among the coaching staff as well because of how the defense played last year and the deficiencies that they have in stopping the run and having a more consistent pass rush. And certainly because you had 
a good amount of guys coming from out of state, not just out of state, but outside the region for California power specifically. I mean, this was really the one team and the only team that brought together, like you said, a real AAU style of roster um, to this event. Now, there was also a seven on seven event that was going on congruently with this, uh, but certainly the focus uh, had to be on the lineman A because we just don't get to see the lineman very much, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the thing that, you know, maybe we're going to see more and more of this in the future. There's certainly more and more off seasonal uh, instructional sort of camps, uh, giant skills. Uh, Mitt, there's a few of them locally that have been going on for years. And now you're going to see that maybe more nationally where the linemen are actually getting specific instruction um, during the off season. And that's sort of what happens. That's the evolution of it. Cause seven on seven was like that at one point as well. Seven on seven was all about individual instruction and training. And then somebody said, Hey, let's go out there and see if we can compete and use what we're training during the off season and actually compete in the off season and show our guys, you know, how this actually translates to actual competition. So it became like B2G and some of these uh, local places that were training guys originally. And then it became, okay, let's just not do intra let's do inter and go out there and actually start playing other teams. So that's maybe the evolution we're seeing with five on five and it's no pads. So it's not like, you know, what we used to have with the opening up in Oregon or when it was in uh, Texas where you have actual pads and, 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 and helmets. Uh, unfortunately, it's not that, which gives you a, a little more of a realistic take on how, you know, a pass rush might go. Because when you get pads on, it slows down the defensive linemen a bit. And when you don't have pads on and you've got these little dry fit T-shirts on, those defensive linemen are hella slick. So there are certain rules. I think it's a four-second rule. you got to get to the bag. you got to touch the bag. Um, they do call holding, uh, et cetera. But obviously all that is judgment calls, and it's uh, very easy to argue that. And there was definitely a lot of arguing. But back to the question that you asked, who would have been the top five? I really actually didn't even think of like – I don't even need five. I just need three. Who, who the top performers were uh, in general, I think – the guy that stood out the most, and this is mainly because we just had not heard much about him. Um, he's an underclassman. He's a guy that USC offered a scholarship. But again, he didn't even have a picture in the database. And that's Trent Wilson, the 6'3", 270-pound defensive lineman from Baltimore St. Francis Academy. Um, and someone that you know we've heard a lot about. Uh, in terms of USC trying to get their foot in the door in the DMV from a recruitment standpoint, but not necessarily a lot about, you know, what kind of defensive lineman is he? How good is he? He's not rated right now. And some of that has to do with the 2025 class not being rated fully. You know, those evaluations are still ongoing. Uh, But I can tell you Trent Wilson is going to be one of the top defensive linemen in the nation. Um, He was incredibly fast, fluid, um, Frame-wise, he has the long arms. Uh, he's uh, incredibly physical, and um, he's he's a tough kid. You know, he's a no-nonsense, business-oriented. He's out here to prove a point and to show that he's one of the best linemen in the country, regardless of class. And also a guy that right now, just with his body, has some versatility where he could play five or he could play inside as a free technique. So he was. The guy that immediately, I mean, I said to Jarrett, you know, after the first rotation, 
against their first team. Uh, I like Trent Wilson a lot. Like that's the guy that's standing <laughs> out to me. And, um, and, and certainly like he played uh, like that, you know, throughout the day, he did have a dust up with, um, you know, another player that uh, I was, uh, I was pretty high on and that's um, big Tom, Tom from uh, modern day. Uh, Tomatoi to Topoi, I believe is, is how you uh, pronounce his name. Um, Tom, Tom for Chris Trevino's of the world. Uh, he, uh, yeah, thank, thank God. That's an easy one. Tom, Tom. Yeah. I'm he, all in uh, on Tom Tom. You know, he's a good 6'3", and he's, you know, probably 300 pounds, maybe 310, uh, two, class of 2026. So, I mean, he's a real young guy, uh, yet held his own against everybody and was the only guy that got in front of Trent Wilson and actually beat him on a, on a, on a, on a rep. And, um, you know, the offensive linemen, you know, when they, when they get you, they, they like to sometimes, you know, sit on you and kind of rub your face into it, you know, maybe give you a knee in the back. Um, and that's kind of what he did with Trent. Trent. Trent was about to snatch the life out of him uh, after he got up, and everybody had to grab him. And I mean, you know, the funny thing about it is, you know, these are these are these are big boys. This is not seven on where you've got some, you know, five eleven, hundred and fifty pound cornerback going against some five eight, you know, hundred and seventy pound wide receiver. And you know, it's easy enough to get in, in between those guys. But you got you know, 6'3", 270, and you've got 6'3", 310, and a bunch of other big-ass guys running from the sideline. And uh, I'm standing – well, I'm, I'm, I'm on the knee taking video. And, you know, I've, I've seen so many fights with seven on and everything. I, You know, for me, it's like, I let's just get – come on, let's move along. Let's get to the next thing, break it up. You know, I, I'm, I'm here to, 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 to shoot video and, and to see guys compete and not here for all this extracurricular uh, activities. And um, I'm kind of kneeling there and I look over and, uh, and there's a the security guy and they had, you know, give pylon a lot of credit. They got security, you know, all over the place. And a lot of seven ons, you don't see security, you don't see medical staff, you don't see anybody, you know, and, and they did have security there. And uh, I kind of glanced over at the security guy and he looked down at me and, um, and I'm just kind of like thinking, this guy can do anything. And of course, as I, as I look away, one of the ladies there that's a part of the event is like, she yells over at him like, hey, are you going to do anything? Get up, what are you waiting for? And he kind of like walks over there and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and I can just tell he's going, what am I going to do? These, these dudes are, <laughs> this guy's about as big as I am. And he's like, I, you know, I ain't trying to get between these big old dudes. So really it was up to the coaches because you got a bunch of big D-line coaches and O-line coaches and they're all big guys themselves. So really that's, you know, them and the other players, if it's going to get broken up, those are the guys they're going to break it up. So you're just hoping there's not animosity at that level where it just becomes an all out brawl and you just got to wait it out sort of thing. So it was, it was cool. It wasn't a big deal. And, you know, afterwards, Trent, um, you know, and Tom, Tom, uh, you know, they, they, they shook they, it up, shook it up and, and everything. And it was GG's, but um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a good rap and um, Trent, you know, Hey man, everybody loses reps. You know what I mean? Even the good, really good players, but I mean, it, it, it showed that, you know, modern day, and not to get too deep into um, uh, Tampui's, uh, you know, evaluation, but like I think, you know, you look at Bosco and you look at Modern Day and you look at the 2024, 2025, 2026 classes, and you know, we talked about this. USC can really sort of build that fence and and get a pipeline into those schools. They're going to be okay on offensive line, you know, particularly with the interior offensive line. You know, you can always go out there and you can always you know, try to find that franchise guy because because th those guys are few and far between. 
uh, at left tackle. But just in general, in terms of getting depth on the offensive line and getting physical players uh, and, and being able to get guys that, you know, you sort of have a pipeline, you don't have to worry about going out of state. Feels like with modern day and, and St. John Bosco, just alone, you're going to be able to get some guys each class. And so uh, I think uh, Tom Tom is one of those guys for sure who's sort of earmarked already, you know, going against one of the better players in the 2025 class as a 2026 guy. And um, just like, hey, you know what? Like he didn't back down from anybody. You know, he got in front of everybody that he went, to, went against and uh, was one of the better players there. Um, that, you know, obviously wasn't playing on California power. Uh, he'll, he'll probably be playing at California power either by the end of the year or maybe next year. But, um, yeah, he, he was one of those guys that uh, was uh, very impressive that wasn't on that team. So, you know, those two kind of stood out. I, I, in terms of, like, not losing a rep, I mean, jumping over to Logan Grace, an offensive lineman, Walt Claire Flynn, who doesn't have a scholarship offer from USC. It's about, oh, gosh, like 6'3", 6'2", probably 305, 310 maybe. He's a bit cut off. You know, he's a bit short. And I could see why maybe that's why some schools are, are, are sort of uh, maybe slow playing a little bit. But he played center and he didn't lose a rep the whole day. I mean, he was locked down the whole day. And, um, you know, from a performance standpoint, was as, as good as anybody. So, I mean, from, a, from an actual like winning reps, he would have to go up there. And then probably like, you know, David Stone, Booker Pickett in a top five of sorts. Booker Pickett was really good. He's about 6'5", probably 200 pounds. He's really slim. He's really light. He has great moves, great awareness, but he's just got to put a lot more weight on, um, which, you know, he can do. I, I think the biggest thing with those type of guys is playing at the line of scrimmage. You've got to have the length, and um, he has the length. He just, you know, does he have the frame to put on 235 pounds, 240 pounds at least, you know, to play that end spot, or is he going to have to play a little bit off the line until – you know, he has a year or two in college because, you know, it's going to take him that much to, to be able to gain the weight. Um, he was playing predominantly against right tackles, uh, whereas on the flip side where you have Nasir Wyatt, uh, you had LeVar Talley. Obviously, everybody knows Nasir Wyatt, the 2025 defensive end from modern day. Um, and uh, to the LeVar Talley, who's from um, Santa Margarita Catholic, uh, both those guys are kind of slimmer guys as well uh, with um, – you know, Booker, he's taller. And so he has the length. Uh, again, he's got to put on that weight, but he's got the height and weight, or excuse me, he's got the height. The question with Nasir Wyatt is going to be, is he going to have that length? Is he going to be able to get taller? So from an evaluation standpoint, Nasir played well, but he also got beat uh, here and there uh, where he got blocked. Uh, I think, you know, the question is just going to be when he's coming out of modern day, is he going to be able to get to the 6-3, and get the length to be able to play against those offensive tackles? I mean, 20 years ago, he would have been a Sam linebacker. You know, 20 years ago, LeVar Talley would have been more of a Sam linebacker. LeVar Talley is probably 6'3", 205, and built more like a big safety than he is a, a true edge rusher defensive end. And so if you're a Sam linebacker and you're playing against, uh, or let's say we go back to like the Dallas Cowboys era, right? And, and that's, you know, a little before your time, but that's the Jimmy Johnson era when the Dallas Cowboys were, were dominant force. And defensively, they were very dominant when Jimmy Johnson took over. And Jimmy Johnson really implemented a lot of the things he was doing with the 4-3 stack defense that he was doing at Miami. And it was all about speed. 
And he pulled those linebackers off the line of scrimmage. Those guys were stacked behind the line of scrimmage, and he allowed his defensive line really to do the, the pass rushing and setting the edge. And so, you know, 20 years, 25 years ago, those guys are playing off the line of scrimmage. But now teams want to put guys at the line of scrimmage that still have that athleticism. But the problem is, you know, if you're playing even in the Pete Carroll defense and it's a 4-3 under, that side linebacker might be playing at the line of scrimmage, but he's playing strong side and he's playing over a tight end. So you're talking about the difference between a tight end that's maybe 6'5", 240, maybe 250, as opposed to an offensive tackle who's 6'6", 310. And it's just the difference. There's a huge difference, especially when you're trying, trying to play against the run. So a guy like Nasir Wyatt right now playing at the line of scrimmage in high school at 6'2", 210, it's like, okay, that's fine at the high school level. But when you get to college, there's got to be that choice or there's got to be that physical development to where you can actually play against those guys with these big, long arms and all that weight, and you can be able to set the edge, which obviously has been one of the problems that USC's had for, for, for quite a while. It goes beyond Alex Grinch's years at, at USC. It's going you know, all the way back to Clancy Pendergast. And I think you know, originally when USC want to, went to a, a hybrid front, it was when Clancy was there with Ed Ergeron. And what they were doing there was running really more of a 5-2 then they were running this sort of two, four, five front where you only got two linemen. They were using uh, like, like um, uh, I'm trying to think of who they're, I, I think it was um, Morgan Breslin. And on the other side, was it, was it Kennard that was on the other side? I, I think they had, uh, Devon Kennard was on the other side as an edge. You're talking about like six, four, you know, 270 and 6'3", 265, 270 as your end guys, as opposed to having sort of a, a hybrid linebacker type who's, you know, 6'2", 6'3". I mean, USC was kind of even pushing it um, when you fast forward and uh, they, they start putting guys that just don't have the length and don't have the size that are actual true defensive ends, but more linebackers. And I think that's where you run into trouble where you don't have the real linebackers. So, I mean, that's the biggest question going forward uh, with Nasir Wyatt. I mean, he's by far like the one of the biggest playmakers that modern day has and, and certainly a guy that impacts a lot of games for them. But you do have to look at sort of, you know, even the guys that came before him in modern day, like Rajon Davis, who, you know, now we've seen him move back off the line of scrimmage. Why? Because he's, you know, he's really like 6'1", 215 pounds, 220 pounds. And that's just, not the, the guy, you know, Yusheno Nwusu was one of the few guys that was a linebacker in high school and came into USC and then he dipped out for like a year there and he came back and he was, you know, he went from being like 6'3", 215 to like 6'3", 240. And, you know, he's, he, I can't remember if he measured into 6'2", or 6'3", in the NFL draft, but he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. He was one of those guys who was like, okay, he's athletic. He's got very long arms for his height, but you know, can he be that guy that can really set the edge? And it turned out he was a really good pass rusher. And, you know, he's still playing in the NFL today. Um, so, you know, that's one of the exceptions to the rules of a guy that actually was a linebacker that they moved up to that position as opposed to being, you know, maybe a, a guy that's actually a defensive end, but athletic enough where you can sort of kick him out. And so that's kind of the question, I think, going forward for some of these guys when you watch them in, you know, a five-on-five -five competition, you see the speed there. Get a guy like Booker Pickett, who's got the height and he's got the length, but he just doesn't have the power in his butt. He just doesn't have the, the, the strength and, and the actual size 
uh, from a weight standpoint to be able to to play at the line of scrimmage. So you kind of wonder, okay, you know, does he just have a, a growth spurt? Does he just, you know, discover eating donuts or what what happens here where he's got to gain this weight? And then you got guys like Monsieur Wyatt who are, you know, very well built and very well proportionate, fast, quick, but don't have necessarily the length that, you know, just right now to be able to, you know, be able to anchor uh, at the line of scrimmage at that size. I noticed a guy you have not mentioned that I was interested in because I also transcribed the the visit interview was uh, Quincy Orchard, edge rusher Jalen Harvey, who, as we know, has the distinction of being the first USC target in 2024 to set their official visit. He set it for uh, June 17th, which could be the uh, golden hour part two for this summer. But a four-star composite, three-star in the 24-7 sports rankings out of Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, I saw some of the clips online. Jalen Harvey, I just wanted to get your impression of him. He did enjoy his visit to USC. It was kind of what he called a warm-up visit just because, you know, it is not a traction visit necessarily. But a a warm-up is a good good, uh, uh, descriptor for it because he will be back in the summer, but just got to see the campus. Not all the coaches were there, but Roy Manning was there. They did talk a lot about technique and all that stuff, certain stances, hand placement, all that. So he did like it, did enjoy it. He can't wait to get back, which he will be bringing his family. Perhaps distance might be an issue in this one, you know, coming all the way across the country. He'll have to convince his parents of that if or at least his mom of that, if he does, you know, decide USC is a serious, serious contender for him. Penn State, I believe, has the two crystal ball uh, picks for him at this moment. But, yeah, just wanted your impression of Mr. Jalen Harvey. Yeah, you kind of got me bouncing around with the the top three sort of thing. It kind of, like, <laughs> instead of, like, being able to like, talk about it. cold opens guys. all over the place. We're going evaluations. Yeah, yeah. So visit I, updates, I, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I kind of broke it into, like uh, – you know, the, the recruiting angle of things and then, you know, maybe getting into the evaluation of things later. But now I'm kind of like just just doing it all. I'm marking um, it off as we go, just so we don't circle back on stuff. We're, we're good. So let you Jaylen, go. Let you go. With Jalen Harvey, I, I mean, physically, he was definitely much more impressive than I thought he was going to be. I mean, we have him rated as a three star right now. And I was like, OK, this dude is like put together, you know, and, and of course. It's um, T-shirts and shorts. It's not mm-hmm, bad. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, not really sure necessarily. Okay, I mean, this is a guy that is a combine warrior. Maybe this is a guy that just looks really great. T-shirt All-American. But, you know, when you put on the film and you watch him during the season, maybe he just isn't that impactful. He's not a guy that's super productive from that standpoint or there's something missing in this game. Um, I put on his film and I didn't see that. <laughs> I saw a guy – that is violent at the point of contact, very fast, very quick. Uh, I see why USC is on him now. You know, I see why maybe instead of other players, uh, why you would circle this guy and go, yeah, we like this guy. There's something about this guy. And uh, from what I saw from him there, he was good. Certainly did not have the move set that you would see from uh, a David Stone or uh, Booker Pickett, you know, Booker was really good uh, from a finesse standpoint of being able to read the block and move accordingly. And like I said, I, I make the distinction. He was playing against a lot of right tackles. He wasn't playing against left tackles like Mr. Wyatt and Pavar Tally were. So that's notable because usually you're going to put 
your best blocker just in general over on the left side. So, you know, Booker was able to read those guys and man, he had a lot of reps where he just kind of made a move, shook them and got by. You know, he's very good about getting skinny and he's also very skinny. So there you go. Now with with Harvey, he was on that side with uh, Nasir Wyatt and Tally and was a bit more of a power rusher. You know, he used the stiff arm a lot more. Uh, he, he, he liked to kind of lock out a little more and get into the body of the offensive lineman. Um, he did have a little bit of a spin move, but he was a little more of a straight ahead guy. But he was very powerful and he was very strong and he is quick. And when you put on the film, you watch a guy that is very violent at the point of contact, which I note that specifically because there are guys that you watch who could be very productive and they're very good players. But they don't have the suddenness. They don't have that it factor of being violent at the point of contact. And one guy I remember watching, and this is when it sort of hit me that this was a thing, was watching Leonard Williams. When Leonard Williams was coming out of Mainland High School, I watched his film. I was like, this dude just seems very underrated to me. Like, he's 6'5", 265. He looks really long. But you don't know for sure because i never seen him in person. But the thing that stood out is that every time he hit the quarterback, every time he hit the running back, every time he made a tackle, or at least majority of instances where he was the solo player on the play, that player with the ball went down fast. It was a very sudden action. And you just saw it. He just deleted people. And it's like, man, like what, what is that? There's something to that in a player when you watch him and at that point of contact, whether it's defeating a block or actually making the tackle when they alone are doing it and it gets done. And there's just no doubt that player is going down immediately. Jalen Harvey's got a little bit of that on his film. And, and so I, I like that about him. There's something that, you know, he really has that explosiveness. It seems when he's at that point of contact, we saw a little bit of that um, during the, the, the five on five. Now, you know, why isn't he top three? Why isn't he top five? I mean, it's, you can argue that you know, maybe he should have been in there. He didn't win straight out uh, his battles um, as consistently as some of the other players. And listen, David Stone, you know, five-star, we didn't really talk about him too much uh, from IMG Academy, uh, the guy that sort of was the alpha dog of that group. And you can see, I mean, immediately when they're all kind of going through warm-ups and they're talking about who's going to play where, you know, David Stone was sort of lining guys up and saying, all right, well, you play right side, I'll play left side, I'll play inside. Now, the thing I was a little disappointed, David Stone didn't play much on the interior, which mm. kind of tells me, and going into the recap that we did recruiting-wise with him, he talked a lot to Roy Manning. And so it sounds like he is viewing himself as a guy that wants to play on the outside. Not a bubba. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of feeling like you know i'm an athlete and, and he actually had a couple reps where he played standing up instead of you know going into a two-point stance and he's you know a good 270 pounds and he wears it well and you know there's actually a little bit of audio it's funny in one of his reps where he just you know kind of gives a guy a straight arm right into the chest and just knocks him down right and um it's just just a completely dominant rep playing against somebody that is just not going to play on Saturdays more than likely. And one of the coaches from their team's like, man, that guy's got no moves. And then he turns around like on the next rep and just totally dices the guy and gives him a little move and a shake. So he, he clearly has some repertoire in terms of his pass rush moves and what have you. 
But it was interesting to see that he was playing predominantly uh, against right tackles and, and was playing basically what would be a five technique in real football and not playing much inside. I mean, he may have gotten a rep or two inside, but I, I it was almost the majority of all his reps were on the outside, which, again, I, I just think is a little bit interesting. If you're recruiting him and you're looking at him as being, you know, a, a big-time interior defensive lineman, um, he might be going to the place that talks to him about being more of an outside guy and um, sort of, um, you, you know, uh, entertaining his interest in being uh, kind of more of an edge rusher than an interior rusher. And he's not, now he's not particularly tall either. So it's not like he's a big guy that, you know, as a three technique anyways. So maybe that's what he's looking at is like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm only about six, three, um, you know, maybe, you know, being a five technique is, is more up my alley, but you know, quite frankly, five technique is probably the lowest paid defensive <laughs> line position <laughs> that that's out there. I mean, quite frankly, like if you're, if you're at the top of your game in the NFL and, um, you know, you're a five technique or you're a one shade or you're a three technique uh, or you're a wide seven, you're a guy that actually is a, is a straight up pass rusher type. Um, yeah. The five technique is, is probably low on the totem pole uh, of all those, uh, all those defensive line positions. I mean, three techniques are big time. I mean, that's people love an interior pass rusher that can one gap and get through there uh, right in the quarterback's face. Obviously we know that, you know, the Lawrence Taylor types, the guys that can play in the, the seven technique and play out there and really put the left tackle on the island. That's a huge franchise type position. Um, and then if you can get a big time guy, you know, a sort of Terrence Cody type that you can put right over center. I mean, that that's that's huge, too. Those guys go uh, high in the draft as well. It's really usually the five technique is the guy that's like the more utility sort of, OK, you know, we, we want a guy that's a good player that can do some pass rushing. But, you know, is more of a run stopper, but he's not he doesn't really have any sort of specific, unique quality that makes him um, super impactful. And, and, and they, you know, that can change with, with scheme and who you're playing against or maybe your five technique is, you know, more dependent uh, as a pass rusher. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, those other positions are really the positions that you want to play if you're looking for, you know, a, a big payday in the draft. And obviously, Jer Perez was the one to do the interview with David Stone because he, as had, the, to. he had to. It just was. It, it just had to be done. Five stars only had to interview the top-rated prospect at this camp, number seven overall in the country per the twenty-four-seven sports rankings. I, Gerard, I don't know if it, it's fair to call this visit a traction visit for David Stone. Maybe that's exactly what it should be called. But it sounded like he enjoyed the visit. You know, I believe he said at the end that there's a chance he makes another. He plans to do another one with some of his IMG teammates. That'll probably be in the summer. Does not talk about anything about possibly uh, an official visit. He seems like a guy who's going to get all his official visits done uh, in the summer. So we'll see what happens there. I'm sure he'll be back out for another five on five. But like he said, wants to take another visit with his IMG Academy teammates. He is an Oklahoma native. I believe Oklahoma is the trendy or the favorite uh, per the per the projections. And Michigan State is also pushing up there as well. But USC is in that top 10. I don't know if they're in the top half of that, that top five of that top 10. They probably still have some work to do in that regards. But at least, you know, you got them on campus, got your foot in the door. You know, now you can try to build off that moving forward. Yeah, I, it, it is. 
difficult to kind of gauge what this visit was for him. It, was it really a traction visit? You kind of got the sense like, hey, man, I got another chance to come to Southern California. He was here before because California Power had sort of an introductory um, ex ex exhibition sort of uh, in January. But he never got to visit um, USC with that, uh, which, you know, kind of in itself is sort of like, OK, you know, you're in Southern California, didn't you know, go out of your way to try to get up there to, to visit USC. So, OK. But he did visit USC this time, and 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 like we said, it was uh, Roy Manning's name who came up more than Sean Nua with him, which I, I thought was definitely interesting. And he talked about coming back out here with his IMG uh, teammates, and that was sort of vague as to whether that would be an official visit or an unofficial visit. So, you know, technically it could be a, an official visit um, during the summer. That, that could happen. It, it's not out of the – the question he just wasn't a hundred percent sure as to you know what it would be you know maybe it would be uh an unofficial visit at some point but i kind of doubt that you know uh, the only other img academy player uh that has been on campus this year that i can remember off the top of my head was jordan johnson rubel right it, uh, the safety mm -hmm. from yeah. img who was out here uh earlier and um took an unofficial visit and has talked about coming back out to USC also and has floated maybe USC would be one of those schools that he officially visits, but hasn't necessarily locked in anything and hasn't, uh, from you know what we gather, um, been committed to coming back out to USC for an official visit. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that it, it, there's a possibility there. But I certainly wouldn't get the vibe that USC is top three for either of those players. And I don't know about like you know, Jarek Gibson, um, some of these other guys that are top players uh, that are at IMG that might be, you know, being recruited by USC, but might have interest in coming back and, uh, and actually visiting USC that, you know, have high interest in USC at this point. It just seems like USC is one school of many schools that they visited and they're going to visit other schools. It's usually a matter of the schools that they visit more than once, and then they pop up on an official visit. Then you can say, okay, this guy's really serious about um, this particular program. But, you know, since um, the official visits of both David Stone uh, and uh, Jordan Johnson, I don't get the sense like, you know, the review was like, oh, it was cool. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, but not necessarily you know standard stuff standard stuff kind of standard kind of like you know i'd like to go back to cali and check it out and it's more about visiting california than necessarily usc so uh we'll, we'll see you know we'll, we'll see what happens i know uh you know mikey matthews is another player that uh playing for trillion boys who was uh rated originally as the number one athlete in the nation i think he's been re-rated as a wide receiver and that's where usc is recruiting him and he's a five-star from georgia that is talking about officially visiting USC. Now, the difference with him is that being a part of Trillion Boys, you have Chris Hawkins and you have um, Sue Cravens that are both involved with Trillion Boys. So there's some connection there with USC. You know, there's there's some relationships there with former USC players. And so, you know, like if there's any questions asked or there's any, um, you know, conversation there about USC and, you know, they, there's somebody there close that they can actually reach out to with, some of these other players, they may not have that 
Um, so that's always something, you know, when you're talking about recruiting angles, that can be important in a recruitment. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, we talked about Jalen Harvey. He has already set that official visit to USC for June 17th. And he acknowledged, like, that's going to be the big weekend for USC. Like, I think they told him that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I hear. Um, there's going to be other players that are going to be on that weekend. And, and it sounds like it's going to be another golden hour. I mean, it sounds like that's sort of the template that USC wants to have. You know, they want to have one of those bigger than big weekends. And they want to sort of try to build their class around that particular weekend. And so um, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, certainly having less traction visits and having more guys that you feel like you can close with. And that's, you know, what you know a lot of the spring is going to be. It's getting guys on campus and getting them familiar with USC. Um, you know, Jalen Harvey enjoyed his visit, liked his visit. I think there's other schools there that are on his mind. I don't – we have him – right now on the target list with high interest. I think that's debatable. I, I, I think, yeah, and some, I think there's probably some days that USC is definitely up there for him and he does have high interest. And then I get a sense, you know, there's some other schools that are involved with him. I, I don't know that it's a Penn State USC battle and going, you know, back to maybe, you know, even before Lane or excuse me, uh, Lincoln Riley was at USC. I would give USC the nod you know, in those head-to-head -head battles, even for East Coast guys, USC has been pretty good against Penn State. Uh, but I think there's some other schools there as well. And potentially in May, when people get to eyeball him and see that he is every bit 6'4", 235, 240 pounds, and he's very well put together, doesn't have bad body weight, um, he's going to get some more offers. There's going to be some other, some other schools that probably slide in there and start recruiting him harder. I say offers. Offers mean nothing. It's It's the recruitment. You know, it's the who's contacting him, who's really trying to get him in on a visit, and who's really pushing hard. And so, um, you know, USC's done a good job getting, I think, ahead of the game, and they've really made him a priority early on and setting that visit and not wasting any time. You know, they had – if you're already setting official visits, you've got to start, you know, sorting your board up a little bit, right? And you've got to make some hard decisions. It's like, you know, who are we bringing in? Like, who are our top guys? we got to know that already. And you don't want to bring in more guys that are, are maybe not top guys because, you know, you're going to get commitments. You're going to have to sort that out, like who you want to take when. And so they identified him early as a, as a top guy. And um, I think that was a good evaluation. He certainly looks uh, on film like a top guy. And now you got to see him in person and get to see physically, you know, is he the real deal? Is he, is he, is he really 6'2", 220, you know, or is he actually 6'4", 235? Because it, it can go either way. And they saw him in person. They, you know, Sean knew, I think was back there. Uh, in Maryland and, and probably visited with him, even though Roy Manning is his primary recruiter. I think it was Sean Nua who went back to, to Maryland and made a couple trips out there um, while he was, you know, recruiting Sam Green. And I think, you know, he, he saw him and was like, yeah, man, he, he, you know, I've, I've eyeballed him. He's the real deal in terms of, uh, you know, his listed weight and height and what he has, what he is in reality. So um, yeah, Jalen Harvey definitely up there and um, getting their foot in the door with Trent Wilson and making him a priority already and, and, and working on him. He's going to be another guy. It's going to be hard to, to, to recruit, though. I mean, Alabama's going to be off for him. George's going to be on him. Those, he's the real deal as well. He's going to be one of those guys that um, is going to be a national recruit. But certainly, if USC can create a honey hole in the DMV area, you know, just for front seven players alone, and then you've already got these receivers and quarterbacks, um, and again, offensive linemen, I think you can get some offensive linemen locally in these next few classes. You're not going to have to really go all over the country for offensive linemen. It's just 
you know, that that position of getting some interior guys, maybe getting a linebacker or an edge rusher or something, you know, just, you know, there, there, there's all other good players that are going to come through there. But obviously, from a need standpoint, DMV could give you something that you might not be able to get locally or even regionally. Uh, that would be really huge. If you can combine what you can get here locally with what you can get in the DMV, that's the something that that's going to get you you know, some college football playoff wins. It's not just, hey, we're going to be able to get in there and show up. It's we're going to have, you know, the body types um, and the skill to be able to play at that level and actually compete and win some games. As much as I would love to continue having this conversation about the DMV and you talking about all the talent out of the DMV, I think we need to switch over from the defensive side of the ball to, you know, uh, edge rushers, defensive linemen, and all those to some of the offensive linemen that were there at the tournament. And you did mention, you know, Tom, Tom, you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Walt Claire Flynn Jr. kind of being the undefeated at that center spot, you know, a little bit shorter at that six foot two, 305. But there were other couple guys, one being uh, Kaneki, Illinois. I think I said that right. Offensive tackle Marquise Easley, who USC recently offered, I think last month they offered him. And he put USC among his top 11 schools. You were able to talk with him. And you haven't posted that that visit recap yet. So, you, so don't give too much away. But also, what were your impressions of uh, Marquez Easley? It's also the 2025 tackle Peter Lange out of San Francisco. Uh, Clearwater, Florida offensive tackle Joseph Ionata. You mentioned Tom Tom already. Uh, Riverview, Florida 2025 offensive tackle Zaire. Addison, not related to Jordan Addison, I assume, but there were some uh, young tackles there in attendance for you to scout, Gerard. Yeah, and so, um, you know, we actually did post the uh, Marquis Easley story oh, already. <laughs> yeah, that, that one, up, excuse me. That went up Saturday night. Um, he gave me a call when he was on his way back from USC, and uh, it was interesting because Marquis Easley played really majority inside. He was majority uh, an interior offensive lineman playing guard during the tournament. And uh, he looked okay. You know, he had some, some wins and, and he had a few losses and it just seemed like, you know, he uh, wasn't necessarily used to, you know, that type of environment and doing a lot of one-on-ones as an offensive lineman. And so, yeah, he was um, a guy that, uh, you know, looks good. You know, I think he's listed like uh, 315, something like that, 6566. Um, actually, I think he's listed as six seven and uh, like three ten, three fifteen. He's not six seven, but he, he's probably a legit six five, six six, and um, has has pretty good uh, body to him. Not a lot of bad body weight, uh, but carries three hundred pounds really well. Uh, moves pretty well, but it, just in terms of, I think physicality and tech technique, that was you know lacking on on the reps that he lost. And so the the biggest takeaway is just okay, maybe he's more of an interior guy. Um, he does have the body, you know, to play tackle. It's not one of those things where he showed up and, you know, he's really 6'3", 315, and, uh, you know, having the actual 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, frame. But I think just in terms of uh, the, the foot speed and, um, yeah, I, I mean, we didn't get to see him much on the edge. I, I can't recall him playing left tackle at all during uh, that five-on-five tournament. So, you know, I, I would have liked to see him a little more on the island, you know, going against somebody. I mean, quite frankly, I would have liked to have seen um, California Power going against itself, <laughs> probably more than them, them going against anybody else because they were just far, 
how many how many offensive line teams were there? Uh, geez, off the top of my head, I want to say there was like six to eight, probably mm, okay. something okay. like that. And so you know, the, the California Power ended up playing the Lumberjacks, which uh, had a, a few uh, modern day guys, not, not DeAndre Carter, um, not Brandon Baker. Uh, really, were no top guys there that were in the 2024 or or, or even 2025 class. Um, Tom Tom Tapui was really like the, the, the biggest name I think that they had, uh, but um, they ended up playing them twice. And there was a little bit of a rivalry there, and that's where you had the dust up with Tom Tom and um, Trent Wilson. And then they had to play again in the championship game. So uh, California Power actually won that game, and then uh, Lumberjacks had to play against another team. And so they go and they they do their five on five, and it's judged and it's scored. And again, like I said, you know, it's 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 a lot up to you know <laughs> the, the 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 judges as to whether that's really a win or not a win, and there's a lot of arguments and and, and what have you. Um, but uh, they end up playing in the championship, and then the Lumberjacks won the championship. California Power actually lost to them um, by like a point or something like that. And don't ask me, you know, <laughs> what what the difference between that point was. It was a difference between somebody you know not getting to the bag in, in four seconds or. Or not touching the bag. I know there was some controversy. There was a, a rep there where David Stone, um, you know, he 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 looked like he got beat on the play, but he did kind of touch the bag, maybe, or maybe he didn't touch the bag, and there was some arguments about that. And so it's uh, you know one of those things that uh, you see constantly in seven on seven, where you know it's like quarterback. No, that was a sack. That was whatever seconds that they're allowing, whether it's five seconds, six seconds, etc. Um, that was in, you know, he didn't have his foot down and then it you know, becomes a, a big old, uh, you know, Jerry Springer scene. So, um, yeah. Uh, so we did, you know, talk uh, a little bit uh, to, to Marcus Easley and he, and he liked Los Angeles. Um, looking at USC, I didn't get the sense it was like, you know, a huge visit for him. Um, you know, to be honest with you and, you know, we're kind of all over the place. Be, be honest, be honest, Fred. Um, That's all I ask. I think the guy that the visit to USC uh, for California power probably made the biggest impact in his recruitment was Nasir Wyatt uh, out of all those players um, talking to, you know, the, the, I don't know how many we talked to. It seemed like Nasir Wyatt actually got the most from the visit, which surprised me. I mean, he was there in a full USC sweatsuit, you know, he had a, a USC sweatshirt. The drip? On. He had the yeah. drip? Even the he shoes, had, he, he had he had the sweatpants on, and I and I and he was down, and I think he was like um you know putting on his cleats, and I was walking up, and um you know the California Power guys were kind of all just like warming up, and everybody's just kind of standing around, and I come up around him, and he and he had his hoodie on, and I'm kind of looking over, I'm like, is that this year? Because I hadn't seen him since the season, and I'm kind of trying to look as you know, and I go, I was gonna ask him because I don't want to be just like a weirdo here trying to like look at this guys, he's sitting here putting on his cleats. I'm like, hey, it's like, what, what, what's your name? And he goes, uh, Nasir. And I go, oh, Nasir, Nasir Wyatt. I go, hey, man, I, I, I wasn't sure if it was you or not. And I'm looking, I go, well, that's a nice fit. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, you just visited USC yesterday. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And so we kind of had some small talk. And um, they go through and they have their first, uh, you know, rotations of uh, five on five. And I think they had like three games. And then they had a break. And we got some interviews in some of the guys during the break. And I talked to him, you know, during the break and um, he was just fired up. You know, he really had a real good conversation. 
um, chopping it up with Roy Manning. And, and they sat down and they talked a little bit about, you know, how they use their defensive linemen and how they use their edge rushers. Um, talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, I guess the philosophy that he has as a coach, the energy that he had and all of that, you know, Nasir Wyatt was just like, I love it. You know, I, I really, this was the first chance I really got to sit down with Roy Manning and really see, you know, his vision for me. And, and the other edge rushers were in on that meeting and that, that conversation as well. He had Jalen Harvey in there and I think Booker Pickett was, was also there. So it wasn't just, you know, Nasir Wyatt, that whole group visited together. But for Nasir, it, it was, I mean, he went in and got very in-depth on that whole thing and just, you know, how he really just liked the vision and, and sort of what they want to do at USC and um, how it fit, you know, his game. And uh, so, you know, we have yet to put that interview up. And uh, so we'll have that. But um, like I said, I, I think it's um, interesting from, a, from an evaluation standpoint, seeing him and sort of how he develops in the future. It's really all about length and height for, for him, in my opinion. You know, if you're going to play at the line of scrimmage, you're going to have to have some length and height to do what he's doing in high school. If not, then, and I joked with him, I was like, are we going to see you in the seven on it all? Like, you're going to come out here and show us a little, like, a little bit of something. Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm just going to do the five on. But I would like to see him off the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see him do some things, kind of what Dylan Williams is doing, the 2024 linebacker from Long Beach Poly, who was committed to USC, and a guy that, you know, for the first few years when he's playing at Poly was at the line of scrimmage. He was mainly an edge rusher. And they kind of sort of started moving him inside a little bit more. And, you know, he's a guy that's sort of like 6'2", 6'3", 210. And now he's really sort of bought into, okay, I'm going to play off the line of scrimmage. I need to learn to play in space. And we've seen him on some seven-on-seven tournaments, and that's basically what he's doing. And and he's showing he can do it. He's showing he's got the athleticism. He's got the length to still be a a problem in the passing game. Um, And I think with Nasir, having seen just, you know, what Rashawn Davis has has been doing and, and seeing him come off the line of scrimmage, it, it will be interesting to see if Monsieur sort of buys into that too and says, okay, you know, maybe I can, maybe he can, you know, he'll grow and, and what have you, and he is going to be that edge guy, or maybe that's just going to be more situational and you've got to learn to play off the line of scrimmage. And and, and I think that uh, would be interesting just to get to see him play a little more in space and, and to do some things uh, from a, from a coverage standpoint, because I, I think he's got the speed a hundred percent, but it, you know, it becomes a question of agility, hips, you know, do you have the fluidity to be able to turn and run? There's a lot of little nuances to to playing in space. And sometimes it's just a matter of eyes. You know, I think we talked about this before, just you know, playing at the line of scrimmage and playing over a guy and knowing, you know, sort of that's your key as opposed to playing off the line of scrimmage. And you sort of have to read a little more and you sort of have to change keys and you sort of have to have a little bit of, of instincts and feel for, for, for what's coming in your zone if you're playing like a zone defense or if you're rushing off the line of scrimmage, right? That's one thing as opposed to being off the line of scrimmage and having to run at the line of scrimmage because it, you've got a lot more space between you and that guy that's going to block you, and it's just a different approach. You're going to have you know different techniques and what have you. So, yeah, with Nasir, it's going to be interesting to see physically how he develops. But like I was saying, um, in, in terms of the recruitment angle of things, he's still got another year or he's got another two years ahead of him. He's 2025. This was a huge visit for him. Uh, and surprisingly so, a local guy who's been to USC before and what have you, you know, he just talked a lot more about how impactful it was than, than, than even some of the 2024 guys who are coming from out of state and visiting USC for the first time. 
Sounds like one of those turning point visits where you can kind of look back and pinpoint like this is when things started to get real or things really got locked on for this prospect or for the school for for each other. So that's what it sounds like was going on here with Nasir Wyatt to, to show up in the full USC drip. Certainly an impactful one. And I know we've talked a lot. We're big fans of Nasir Wyatt on this podcast. So I, I take it a lot of USC fans are happy to hear that, you know, he was showing up in the USC gear and that this was a big visit for him. There are a couple other guys, just to quick mention, uh, Laverne Bonita, 2025 linebacker, Noah McHale, you know, just a standard, another visit for him. But the fact that USC keeps getting him on campus, as you can see, they're building and building and building. By the time his cycle comes around, you know, they might have at least 20 visits under their belt with with getting McHale on. So that's another great one to, to tack onto the board for him. You know, a five-star linebacker in that 2025 class. Uh, San Jacinto receiver Dylan Gresham, who picked up a USC offer this spring. He was rocking UCLA gloves, did talk to both Dennis Simmons and, and Luke Heward uh, during his visit. Uh, St. Louis Christian Brothers receiver Jeremiah McLean. McClanahan? No. McClane. McClanahan? Wow. Mc- we went from, I, man, I, I have zero to 60 Shane, there. Shane McClanahan in my I fantasy baseball. I have St. Patrick's Day, everyone. McClellan. <laughs> Jeremiah McClellan does not have a USC offer. Uh, I just see the note here. Best catch of the tournament, Gerard. You are going to have to uh, expand on that one uh, to tell us about that. Yeah, he went ODB, man. Uh, a Ooh. backhand sort of one-hand catch in the uh, corner end of the end zone and just sort of like, uh, you know, went up and just just palmed the ball. And uh, I was like, wow, that 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 was that was an impressive catch from a guy. Did you get it on tape? It, well, I did not actually. I was I was filmed. Unfortunately, yeah, I was in on um, Dylan Gresham. I think at that point, it, actually, I think I was talking to Greg Biggins at that particular that particular snap. And I walked over and said something to Greg, and uh, we were standing there and we watched it and we're like, oh wow, that, that's a that's a great catch. Um, and, and McClellan is actually listed by us as a running back, and he's got a bit more of a running back type body. So again, you know, he's kind of there developing his wide receiver skills, showing that, you know, he can be an all around really good player, can use them in the slot if you want to use him in the slot. And so um, he was impressive. I, I, I haven't heard anything about whether USC is going to offer him a scholarship. Um, and I, and I, uh, I, I kind of reached out to him, you know, afterwards. And he didn't say anything, you know, about the offer. And I, I didn't get into it specifically. We talked about if USC would offer him a scholarship uh, before they came down on the visit. And he was like, yeah, I mean, that would be huge for me. Um, I'm definitely interested in USC. And I, I know, you know, Lincoln Riley, I've kind of followed enough to know that, you know, his offenses and, and the way he uses uh, his running backs and his receivers, that he's going to get you ready for the NFL. And there's a lot of player development there. Player development is like, gosh, man, I mean, that is just, the first thing on every kid's mouth anymore. It's, it's all about player development, player development, player development, getting the NFL. And so with offense, you know, that's a, that's a, an easy sell for USC um, with uh, the resume that Lincoln Riley has. And, and certainly the way that USC played uh, last year, you know, and, and getting Caleb Williams uh, a Heisman trophy and having the two running backs play well, and, you know, just everything, you know, that they did offensively. Uh, it's very attractive for a lot of these guys, but um, you know it's interesting that they they hadn't you know offered him, and maybe 
you're looking at 2025 and you've got Jordan Davidson there, uh, the big running back out of modern day high school who, you know, a lot of people really, really love and, and think that, you know, that's a guy that is going to be uh, a sort of a, a game changer type player or, or a player that maybe, you know, you kind of can revolve your off, uh, offense around to some extent, 6'1", 215, um, a big boy, a guy that, you know, as a, as a freshman was playing at modern day and a sophomore last year at 1,500 yards, and I think 17 touchdowns and uh, playing opposite of Nate Frazier at modern day. And we talked about, you know, Nate Frazier and, and how much, uh, you know, I really liked how he's developed physically. Uh, he was out at a seven on at passing down uh, earlier in the year. And um, a guy that's running that 10, seven, 10, eight range at 5'11, 195. And I mean, you modern day has got a real nice lightning and, and thunder combination there that maybe USC would want to utilize. So maybe they kind of trying to clear the way a little bit in the 2025 class and, and don't want to muddy up the water with their offers. I, I quite frankly, I think it doesn't matter. I mean, if you can just go out and get uh, you, you offer whoever you like, you know, and, and the cards fall where they may, but uh, Jeremiah uh, McClellan was, was definitely a guy that kind of stood out in terms of uh, just the physical build, but also the fact that he, he looked like a good wide receiver, even though he's a guy that isn't necessarily known as a wide receiver. Gerard, we are, gone past the one hour mark this is maybe the longest cold open in show history and we haven't really even talked about every guy like i i could sit here and talk about every guy i know there's there's a lot of dudes you know we didn't really get much in the noah McHale visit like you said which which there wasn't a lot to go on but i thought that was you know just even interesting that you know it was just kind of another visit for him but he's taken a lot of unofficial visits to schools all over he's going back to arkansas he's going to do I think another Texas visit and what have you. So you say, yeah, you know, it's good USC getting them on campus. USC's got to keep up with these other schools sure. that are even out of state, you know, getting them on campus. Cause I mean, there's just a lot of schools like pushing to get him on campus, even though he's only 2025, you know, he's, he's, he's seen a lot for a, a kid that's still got two years in the process to go. So I was just saying, is there anything else you want to talk about? Maybe something you didn't mention very quickly, to, or something about a visit that stood out, anything like that before we go into our break, anything you want to talk about for, for this cold open, whether it's evaluation or visit from a visit standpoint. Zaire Addison, uh, interesting player, 2025 offensive tackle from Riverview, Florida, uh, a kid that, um, you know, is looked at as an offensive tackle, 6'5", 240, but actually played really well on the defensive line. And he's included in the defensive line highlights that we put up long arms, uh, pretty fluid, pretty swift offensive line. You know, he had, he had some good, he had some really good reps and then he had some bad reps, you know, he kind of just, just got beat. And I just, you know, we've got him listed as an offensive tackle, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that's going to be one of those things where you sort of have to put a clock on him and say, okay, what, what's the ceiling athletically for him on the defensive line? Um, his, uh, uncle is Chris Rogers played at Alabama, uh, but physically a, a very interesting player, uh, that, uh, that, that I liked, you know, young player and a guy that's got, um, quite a bit of interest in USC, you know, so we'll see how that develops, um, going on another guy locally that deserves a little bit of a shout out that I thought played really well was Keho Tuyalamaka from modern day. Uh, he's, uh, I think listed like six, five, three, another four, modern five. day guy, another, another modern day guy. guy. Modern day's got a hell of a poly pipeline going right now. It's this this Bosco as well. Uh, but um, Keho was 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 very good. You know, he was playing basically the one shade inside. He went through two different T-shirts. 
uh, because he was just getting held like crazy. Um, but a, a big guy that uh, that moves well enough and, and, and certainly more of a space eater than a guy that's like a, a, a really um, athletic pass rusher. But, you know, he's he's listed at 347 pounds. I don't, I don't think he was that big. I mean, he carries it pretty well if he's 347 pounds. Uh, but because he's probably closer to like 6'3", 6'4", and I'd say he's probably like 330, maybe 325. But nevertheless, not the kind of guy that USC has been offering. And, and we've talked a little bit about this sort of the, the small ball thing and, you know, whether USC is just looking to get guys that are more mobile, more athletic. And when it comes to that sort of fork in the road, hey, are you going to, you know, have a guy drop 20, 30 pounds to get faster? Or do you want to uh, maintain weight? and make sure that they can anchor at the size they are and try to continue to develop some speed and athleticism, but not necessarily lose weight. Um, we're, we're kind of seeing where, I don't know, a lot of these defensive linemen that USC has, uh, they're, 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 they're coming up, uh, they're, they're losing some weight. <laughs> so it seems like uh, the latter is um, not necessarily coming to fruition, and they're definitely looking for more mobility than guys like Keho Tuilamaka that are, you know, 330 pounds. But nevertheless, a local guy that, um, I mean, is definitely a Pac-12 level player for sure. And, um, you know, maybe a guy that is is uh, somebody that USC's got to look at. Um, they, they don't have many 300-pounders on their roster. And, um, you know, sometimes you just got to have some beef out there, man. Sometimes you got to match up against a team that wants to, wants to run the ball down your throat. And uh, you just got to have some guys that can anchor and that are quick, you know, that can get off a block get into the gap and be able to make that play. And um, I was, I was impressed by him. I have not seen his film at modern day. I don't know how much he really played at modern day. Obviously you've got Aiden Breland there at modern day. Who's, you know, uh, you know, six, five, two eighty. I think he was listed like two ninety eight or what have you, but he looked actually a little slimmer from modern day last year than he has in the past. And he was probably closer to, to two seventy five, two eighty uh last season. than he was at his, you know, his 300 pounds when he originally got to modern day. But um, you know, they've got some guys there that, that, that are obviously good players. And so haven't heard a whole lot about Keho Tui Alamanca. But at this event, he, he, he didn't look like a guy that was like out of place among all these top players. And with that, Gerard, I think we're going to take our break because you put in a lot of work in this first hour and 10 minutes. So let's let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk Dylan Rayola, little Deuce Robinson. Another Trojan has entered the transfer portal. We have a couple of small recruiting notes to get through, and then we got a bunch of listener questions. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. Fantastic. All right, we'll be right back after this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back. Gerard, how is the voice holding up? You you went hard in that first uh, that first segment. You you carried that. I mean, you carry every show, but you carried that cold open. Yeah, voice is fine. I just, you know, hopefully uh, weren't too scattered all over the place. I, I, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. I think I kept us in a, a – the show is usually can be scattered at times, but I think I kept us on a good you know, back and forth of what you think of this guy, about the visit, evaluation. I, I was I was dancing around it. I, I was getting those uh, guys that needed to be talked about talked about. You threw a frag grenade when you just said, uh, so who are your top three? And I'm going, uh, oh, crap. Now I'm going to end up talking about the top three um, individually <laughs> instead of just like – kind of going through each guy and then maybe afterwards going. So out of all that, I thought the top three uh, of performance or top five of the whole tournament was this guy, this guy, and this guy. But um, we sort of, uh, we went um, the back end first of it. So we ended up just uh, kind of being all over the place. It felt more buckshot than it was slug. It might've been more chaotic for us doing it in the moment, but I think, I think it's going to come out. Okay. I think the, I think the fans will, will be okay with how it went. It, it kind of fit a structure, but also kind of was just letting you talk, and I think that's what they want. So I, th- I think we did okay. There was a lot to handle, a lot of names, a lot of visits, a lot of evaluations to do. I, I think we did as best as we could. You're right, I did throw a little bit of a frag grenade in there to start things off, but it's okay. They just want to hear you talk, babe, and, and I think that's it. Did you just say babe? Yeah, I, I meant to say <laughs> baby. And I said, babe, and now I'm embarrassed. But uh, weird. Okay, so um, (laughs) the War Room, hopefully we'll have a little more tidbits on some of this stuff. And then we can, you know, get into it. And listen, hey, if you subscribe to usefootball.com, please always get on the message boards. You can ask me about a specific player if you want more of a breakdown. We didn't actually do a breakdown analysis-wise piece on it, mostly because there was so much information just in terms of interviews. And video, and I'm still cutting video because I haven't put up the offensive lineman yet. Um, we want to get that stuff out first. And so I thought, you know, the podcast would probably be a good place to go over some analysis and talk about some of these players, what we liked about them. I always try to stay positive, you know, don't want to get too much into the criticism of oh, what I didn't like about this player or that player, but certainly sort of outline their performances and, uh, you know, what we liked about certain players and, and why we liked uh, what we saw from them. So. Hopefully uh, we got a little bit of that in there and got a little bit of the recruiting update because at the end of the day, Trojan fans just want to know who we getting, (laughs) who we getting to make us a championship team. That's it. I don't care. I don't care about anything, but tell me who the next Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner are going to be. Tell me who the next Leonard Williams and Keith Rivers are going to be. That's who we want to know. We don't want to know all this stuff, Gerard, just getting to that point of who's coming and who's going to be the guy to get us a national championship. I'm telling you right now, 
the the fans are dying for a 2024 commitment. It's real slow out there, real real dry in terms of getting a commitment. So they're hoping for that first one to pop, and then it's like a uh, an avalanche of guys committing over the the final the tail end of spring and into the summer going into the season. So we'll have to see. But they're desperate for a, a commitment for us to talk about at the top of a show, Gerard. Yeah, remember like <laughs> we had a. A time there at the end of summer where it was like every week we had cold opening, which we talked about a commitment. And um, it's been a while uh, since we've we've had that. So, yeah, I can understand it. But you know what? He who laughs last. Right. And I think with the recruiting process, you certainly want to feel good about the way things are going. You want that momentum towards the end of the cycle more than, you know, maybe now or even in the summer. Now, I agree. I understand that there's sort of a core to the class that you want to build early on. And sometimes that foundation, it helps you build onto it. But USC had that last year and it, and it, and it kind of built on, you know, during the summer there it, it, when people were, were questioning, Oh no, you know, is the luau's and the, the golden hour and, you know, USC didn't get the last visit for this kid and that kid. And Oh my gosh, we're going to miss out on every guy. And then it turned out, no, that's not what happened. They didn't miss out on every guy. And, and, and the truth is they were close to a 50% um, success ratio. Uh, getting 24 guys in on one weekend. And so you do have to kind of take a step back and realize there's a bigger picture to this. Um, but I think people felt with an 11 season win and the way things turned around, there would be even more recruiting momentum than there was. Granted, we always have to put the asterisk on this. The high school recruiting class and the overall recruiting class these days are a different thing. And you got to look at the overall recruiting class and include some of those transfers because those guys are making as big an impact, even more so an impact uh, to the team uh, right here, right now. So, you know, I think with that included, USC had uh, some great additions uh, for that cycle. And going forward, I guess the expectation is the better USC becomes, the more they lean towards the high school ranks and they try to build that culture within the younger players and get them on campus longer. But we'll see. It is very tempting to bring in guys as transfers and have them compete right away and be able to contribute right away uh, and, and not have as many projects and, and, and guys that you might be reaching on athletically because you like this about them or that about them um, and, and taking, you know, some risks and, and gamble in trying to bring in some of those players as opposed to, you know, what you see is what you get. So we're going to see that going forward. And, um, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, I guess which direction USC goes with it. You know, it seems like at least, what Lincoln Riley has said is that they want to go more to the high school well as time goes on. So we'll see if that comes to fruition for the 2024 recruiting cycle. And one guy USC fans are hoping will be one of those big dominoes to fall this summer is five-star quarterback Dylan Rayola recently held firm as the number one overall prospect in the updated 2024 top 247 rankings. But he did just take a really big visit, unofficial visit, over the weekend to Georgia. There was an update put out by Steve Wiltfong basically saying Georgia is building some momentum. Our friend Blair Angulo also had an update. You know, USC still the team to beat in this one, still the crystal ball leader. But, you know, with this recruitment, I feel like maybe we're just going to have a Dylan Rayola segment Every week with the back and forth, maybe some crystal balls flipping and flopping every which way. But Dylan is expected to use 
his official visits in the summer, get those out of the way, make a commitment. Obviously, you want to get your QB commitment locked in early so you can build that class. Feels like that's going to be the the formula for him. And we won't really know where Dylan Rayla is going to actually go until the summer when those officials start happening. I presume that's going to be a USC, Nebraska, Georgia deal. I think Oregon is also in play, but we'll see. But yeah, that is the latest with Dylan Rayola, the number one overall prospect in the country. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from that, obviously you have Steve Wolfong's update where you're talking about Georgia building momentum. I think the key to that is we haven't heard anything about a silent commitment to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard anything about Dylan Riola canceling any further trips. And in fact, talking to Blair Angulo uh, just the other day, it sounds like he is going to make his commitment based on his official visits, which I thought was a bit up in the air. I thought, okay, this is a guy who's seen a bunch of these schools before. He's taken multiple visits to USC. He's taken two visits to USC just this year. And he's taken multiple visits to all these schools that he's looking at. You know, does he really need to take those official visits or is he going to decide to make a commitment? Uh, he made a commitment to Ohio State without having taken any official visits a year ago. You know, is he going to actually wait that long to take these visits or is one of these unofficial visits going to be the thing that sort of is the straw that breaks the, breaks the camel's back and he ends up popping again? And that was the thought. OK, what happens now that he's left USC? He's going to Georgia. Georgia seems like the other school that has most of the momentum. Obviously, Nebraska is there, family sort of favorite, uncle coach is there. But with Georgia, you've got a national championship. You've got obviously a lot of player development and things that sort of fall in line more with what he liked about Ohio State when he originally committed to Ohio State. So coming away from that visit, not hearing anything about yeah, you know, wink and a nod, you know, we got some sources that seem like now Georgia is the team to be. Okay, clear leader. Georgia is the team that's going to get the next visit. You know, we remember when he committed to Ohio State, he was supposed to come back to USC, mm-hmm. but instead canceled that visit almost immediately after, ended up back at Ohio State, I think, for their spring game, and then boom, he was committed to Ohio State. We haven't heard anything about that with Georgia. So the fact that it sounds like he is going to wait the process out until the summer and take those official visits, that's, I think, big for USC. I think USC, the vibe that I'm getting, the people that I'm talking to, is still, in fact, his leader. So coming away from that Georgia visit for USC still to be the leader is pretty big. Now, the question is, how does his official visits get sorted out in terms of scheduling? Uh, does USC get the first visit? Do they bring him in on the golden, golden hour visit? Right. Which, which would be probably the second official visit that he would take. Um, now I'm not sure how many official visits he decides he wants to squeeze in, but you know, is he going to really go through all his official visits before he decides to make a commitment or is it going to be whoever gets his first official visit? Um, and if not, then, you know, can you wait? for that second week of June uh, to get him in on the official visit for the golden hour. And he becomes, you know, a, a USC Trojan after that official visit. Cause certainly I think if you take, if you get him in on an official visit and he leaves campus without a commitment, 
you're probably not feeling great <laughs> about where you stand for Dylan Riola. That that would be my thought is is that you know after the official visit, whatever schools get those official visits, like they're trying to close the deal right then and there, and that includes USC. So again, the question is going to be, you know, does USC get him in a week earlier and then he just comes back unofficially for the Golden Hour, or do they actually bring him in for his official visit during the Golden Hour uh, if he's uncommitted? So that. That's that's going to be the interesting part of it. But as of right now, I think the update is very positive for USC that everything that we've heard is, you know, Georgia's building momentum, but Georgia doesn't really have uh, him as, uh, you know, that, that, that he's not favored um, for Georgia right now, I think is, is still a, a big deal. It is quite an interesting choice you have to make. Do you want, as you said, bring him in for that big star-studded get everyone around feeling that uh you know the the class like get everyone rubbing shoulders shaking hands meeting to say hey this is what you know we we could be a national championship class or do you do like the tacket curtis thing where you bring him in on a not as crazy hectic week and you make it all about him like it's the dylan rayola visit week it's it's nothing else it's not the golden hour part two it's the dylan rayola week and you focus all your energy on him maybe you have another guy on the visit or two other guys but it is clear cut all about him kind of what with tackett curtis and that obviously worked that was obviously the move and now tackett and his camp did request that that is yeah that's what i was gonna say that that was i mean you know we could give some credit to usc but we also have to say that you know tackett curtis was the guy that said hey you know uh, that's cool and everything. You want to have this big visit weekend, but I really need to have some serious one-on-one time with some of my position coaches uh, to get to, to get a feel for like you know who they are and, and what their vision is for me. And so he went out of his way to kind of reschedule his official visits there. And so you know, is that going? I mean, I'm sure if Dylan Riola requested the same, he would get the same, right? But right. maybe it might be more of one of those things where USC is going to be uh, in the position where they've got to make that 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 call and get a feel for, you know, whether that's um, going to be beneficial to them or having him as a part of a big visit weekend around a bunch of guys that's like, hey, listen, let's get some guys that are the same mindset. And when you're doing one of these big official visit weekends, I mean, you definitely have to, you have to have an evaluation of personalities and not just, you Mm -hmm. know, the players you really like. You have to have some chemistry there if you're trying to build momentum within having all these guys together and this feeling like, hey, man, this is the future of USC football. Let's get on this train together and let's get this thing rolling. Like, we're, we're the future here. This is the core class. Let's go. And, and that's really what you're trying to do with those bigger weekends. So you can have that um, from, from, a, from, a, from a bigger perspective. But even if you bring all those guys in and you're saying, okay, we feel like this is our, our, our A group, you might have cells and groups within that group. And that kind of happened with the golden hour last summer where you had some of the Texas guys who kind of vibe together. And then you had some of the guys that were like, you know, Walker Lyons and Trey uh, Wilson. And there were some other guys that sort of, you know, got together. Deuce Robinson was a part of that group. And then you had the linemen that sort of, you know, the poly group of guys that got together and you're kind of wondering, okay, where does Lucas Simmons fall in with that? When you've got Francis, uh, Mario Goa, and you've got Micah Benuelos, and you've got uh, Alani Noah, and you've got, you know, sort of the poly group, and it's like, okay, does Lucas Simmons, like, vibe with those guys? You're always thinking in in those terms, or at least I'm thinking in those terms, because of I know these kids, and I know how they click, and that sometimes can 
can can work against you or can work for you. So you have to look at that um, when you're putting together a, a big visit weekend. And if you're making the, the, the decision like, hey, you know, do we want to bring D- you know, Dylan in that weekend? Because we feel like that's going to be the thing that really solidifies it. Or it's like, hey, we need to get him ASAP, like right out of the gate. So we cannot risk him going on an official visit and all of a sudden, you know, maybe Oregon gets the first official visit. And it's like, boom, you know, NIL deal and, and hey, Nike and, and whatever else happens. And it's like, oh, you know, out of nowhere, you know, Oregon swoops them up when it's like we could have got that first visit and shut it down right then and there. So, you know, these are the things that you have to think about from a from a strategy standpoint. Like there's a salesmanship standpoint of recruiting, but there's a strategy standpoint of recruiting. And so USC has to kind of figure that out with them. Absolutely. It's like creating the the perfect table at a wedding. You got to get everyone on the same boat at a table. And it's hard to mix those personalities up. But moving on, another five-star prospect, another pinnacle uh, student, five-star tight end, Deuce Robinson. There has been some more momentum building for the Trojans, if that's what you want to call it. But it still seems that it is, quote-unquote, all USC as we approach the April 1st deadline for douche robinson with the mlb with the georgia it still seems like the trojans are firmly in the driver's seats where they started in this whole process began for the five-star tight end douche robinson so that is pretty much the update with deuce we are approaching that april april 1st deadline as i stated but how cruel would it be gerard if that was just a big april fool's prank to do it on april fool's day it, it is. It does open the door for some shenanigans, if you will. It does, and it, it would be bad for. Him to, <laughs> I mean, to, to to play with the fan base like that at all, like you know, everybody has the, you know, go for the one hat and then pick up the other hat or whatever, which is, you know, right. kind of been normalized to some extent. But to go any further than that and have a, a prank of sorts where you're like you commit to a school and then you know the next day it's like just kidding. I actually am going to this school. It was April Fools, and you, I, I would, yeah, that ain't, April Fools is not going to be a good excuse for anything like that. So, um, I don't think Deuce would do that. I think he's right. I don't think so either. I would. I just see April first and recruiting. I just think of shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. You kind of cringe at that. You're like, I don't like what this could end up being. You know, there's always that possibility of something weird happening. Um, but I, I think um, to to your point and from an update standpoint, yeah, I mean. It seems like USC is still like the school to be, and it seems more so and more so as uh, we continue on. And another an odd an odd thing here, you kind of mentioned it in passing, but the fact that uh, Dylan Rola is actually at Pinnacle now. You know, he was at Chandler and he's transferred over to Pinnacle, and Deuce Robinson is at Pinnacle. So you know, Deuce ends up committing to USC. Then you know, you'll have a little bit of a kind of like a a guy there on the inside. Um, and, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much Deuce is actually on campus at this point. You know, he kind of probably seems like the type that probably doesn't have a whole lot of classes anymore on campus. He's probably well ahead of um, the graduation schedule. The only reason he came back was because of baseball and what have you, and, and obviously this decision. But um, nevertheless, you, you would have uh, a, a guy that uh, – you would have actually two pinnacle uh, players, um, you know, on campus uh, ready to go at USC in 2023. Uh, in uh, Deuce Robinson and Elijah uh, Page. Page. And so uh, that would be uh, that would be good, you know, for USC in terms of, you know, trying to get 
Dylan Riola, and certainly um, if they were getting Dylan Riola on top of that, that's a nice uh, pinnacle pipeline that you could have in Arizona, which USC, I mean, that's one of the states, that's one of the areas which they have missed out on so many good players uh, over the past few years where, you know, they've gone into East Texas and all these other players with Clay Helton as head coach and so many coaches from the Texas area, and you're just like, man, what's going on? Like, you're, you're kind of going right over Arizona to go into Texas for guys. And it's not like, you know, you can't recruit Texas, but it seems like some of these dudes from Arizona, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not really recruiting very hard. You know, Bijan Robinson was one guy that they did go after pretty hard. And USA was super confident, you know, for a while that they were going to get BJ Bijan Robinson. And then it turned out like Bijan Robinson, the USC was like, not really, in his top three, I mean, they really, I mean, it was like just, they weren't really uh, in it nearly as much as they kind of thought they were in it. So that was kind of a, just a bad read um, from that standpoint. But, um, you know, Keely Ringo, there was a few different players that really just didn't recruit very much uh, for USC. And that's, that's tough, man. When, you know, you're, you're not getting the top guys in Southern California and then you're ignoring Arizona, which is become a, a much stronger state year yeah. in and year out uh, producing talent. So a lot of people that lived in Southern California that moved to Arizona, a lot of people in Texas that have moved to Arizona. So, I mean, Arizona, the population is booming and um, there's, there's guys there every year that are, that are good top players. You know, they've got five stars um, there uh, every sec, every cycle. So to, to kind of ignore it is um, a little bit head scratching, but now clearly USC is not, and they are trying to make sure that, you know, they are um, extending, you know, if you will, that sort of uh, influence and, and, you know, potentially that sort of fence that you build around uh, Southern California, you could build, uh, you know, that fence and go around Arizona and Nevada uh, as well and, and um, you know, include some players uh, from there uh, on a yearly basis. And that kind of the Deuce Robinson conversation actually helps parlay us into our next topic, which some people are looking at and saying, wink, wink, this is all but a confirmation that Deuce Robinson is coming to USC and is picking USC in a short matter of time. And that is tight end Malcolm Epps, excuse me, Malcolm Epps entering the NCAA transfer portal. He announced that decision today on his social media. So that is another scholarship that is opening up for the Trojans. It is sort of an interesting timing of it just because uh, Malcolm Epps was part of the team the first week of Spring camp, you know, he was there out there on that Wednesday practice and he did all the 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 offseason workouts and then they go away for spring break. You know, maybe he went home to Texas. Maybe he didn't. But he comes back and decides I'm going to go into the NCAA transfer portal. What maybe he was sat down with Lincoln. I don't know. But USC's tight end room is very depleted, at least for spring. They only have two scholarship tight ends right now. That is Lake McCree. And Carson Tabarucci, who was a linebacker as of last year, who just moved over to sort of that H-back spot for spring. Jude Wolf is on the men with his foot injury. They will welcome Cade Eldridge in the, the summer, a three-star prospect out of Washington, who will also kind of be in that H-back position. But, yeah, you look at it, it's set right up for Deuce Robinson to come in and be the guy in that tight end room. So it is interesting of the timing because he was with the team as of, you know, two weeks ago, but Malcolm Epps came here via transfer to Texas, leaving via transfer. So we'll see where he ends up finishes his USC career with 
just about 18 catches, less than 200 yards receiving, and about three uh, receiving touchdowns and one interception uh, on a Hail Mary shot. Uh, at halftime, he was down there for the hands team deep, six foot seven, about 230, 240 pounds. Just never was that weapon in the red zone that most people thought he would be. If you just look at him like, man, this guy is massive, maybe even a little undersized listing at six foot seven. But yeah, just never really caught on as that uh, red zone weapon type guy. Yeah, we heard a lot about him. You know, the Clay Helton staff raved about him, raved about him, and and there was a lot of positive returns uh, about him from Lincoln staff too, but just not a guy that ever seemed to really do much in the actual games, you know, not necessarily very productive. Granted, the tight end position as a whole wasn't Mm -hmm. very productive, but not a guy profile-wise that when you look at what Lincoln Riley had at Oklahoma really fits what they do. And I think it is interesting with Carbon, uh, Carson Tabarachi uh, going over that H-back position. That, that is the guy that really fits the sort of H-back position that uh, you saw at uh, Oklahoma. And, and they used a lot of, and we've talked about that in the past, so I won't go into it, but certainly the smaller sort of guy that, um, you know, in terms of run blocking is, is very good, uh, but has uh, some ability to run after the catch. Uh, from from shorter sort of passes into the flats. And so uh, it, it is interesting. I, I think, you know, Trojan fans would love to believe that Lincoln Riley sat down Malcolm Edison and said, hey, listen, we got this yeah. five-star guy, Deuce Robinson, coming in, and there's just not enough uh, passes to go around, and you're going to have to transfer. That's probably not what happened. He probably did go back home and kind of looked at the first week of practice and kind of thought to himself, man, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be the guy here. And, um, you know, I need to go somewhere else where, you know, I, I can sort of uh, try to make an impact here in my last year. But um, it definitely depletes USC uh, from that standpoint. I think, uh, you know, Lake McCree may settle into being more of the inline tight end, more of the wide instead of the H-back. He really played more of the H-back position last year and was actually pretty good at doing it. But he's a good, you know, 6'5", 240, and traditionally a little more of a guy that you would want um, as your inline, as your inline tight end, as opposed to being a, a true H back type of guy, which tends to be, it's really more of like a, a fullback position, but a guy that um, is able to to work more in the passing game. And so uh, we'll see, you know, how that goes going forward. When you're bringing in Kate Eldridge, another guy who played running back six four two thirty five. He's a big guy, but he actually played running back in high school, and obviously Carson Tabarachi, known as Carson Tabarucci. On this, uh, this podcast uh, has got a ton of experience in being an actual just a running back, like a featured running back. And again, that gives you that wrinkle with potentially having a guy there that you can hand the ball off to, which, you know, kind of just the different things personnel wise you can do to keep the defense honest. You know, you see a defense that wants to sort of cue in and key in on what you do. And you can just throw a couple plays in there and, and you do it once and you pop it for, you know, 10, 20 yards. And all of a sudden now the defense has got to play it differently. So. Uh, with that H-back position, those wham blocks, a lot of that motion that they use in this offense, um, those type of guys are, are, are going to be uh, pretty pretty big uh, in the recruiting trail. And it's always a question, and this even going back to the Pete Carroll era where they use fullbacks, it's like that nine times out of ten, that player is not going to be a guy playing fullback in high school. You know, whether it's Ryan Padrell or it's uh, Stanley Havili, uh, it's, um, you know, even Brandon Hancock was really more of a linebacker running back 
in high school and not a fullback, but he was probably one of the only guys that like projected as a fullback. But most of those guys, even in that era that they used as fullbacks, weren't actually true fullback coming out of high school. So a lot of times it's just a position where, you know, you're, you're finding it elsewhere. You're going, you're looking at your linebackers. You're looking at guys that are actual true running backs um, at the high school level. And then, you know, they're big enough and strong enough that they're able to actually be good run blockers. And then they give you uh, that ability out of the off the backfield to be good receivers as well. And so um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that going forward. And with that, I think we can hit on some quick USC recruiting notes and just kind of bundle them all together. And Gerard, if you want to comment on any of them, that's fine. But I'm just going to run through these really quickly. USC did make the top 11 for three-star Maryland edge rusher Obina Anwuka, who we've talked about a couple times on the show, did get an offer over the spring. He is actually going to be visiting USC for that holy hour April 18th visit. He's going to be making the trip with his uh, not Quincy Orchard, uh, Flowers High School, excuse me, teammate Mike Williams, big six foot seven, three star offensive tackle. They're going to be coming out for that holy hour trip. But USC is in his top 11. I would say they're in that top half as well. He seems to really, really like USC. We'll see what this visit does for his recruitment. Another couple visitors that are on tap for April linebacker Naki Tuakoy out of Fremont. Uh, a linebacker I really love, six foot three, two hundred twenty pounds, with some athleticism, plays running back for them. He is going to be making a visit with his uh, team, or he's going to come out with a group for April. I don't know when that exact date is, but I would not be surprised if it is also for the holy hour. And then the six foot five, four star offensive tackle out of uh, Modesto, Manassas Iteti, uh, offensive tackle. He will be making his visit in on April first, I believe. He has. Uh, put that out there on his social media. So two more visitors for the month of April, two, two big ones, uh, especially Naki. He's going to be making his first uh, visit out here to the Trojans. Uh, USC did make a couple offers this week. The standout one is to 2025 linebacker and Georgia commit Jaden Perlot or Perlotti. Uh, I'm going to go with Jaden Perlot, but USC did get him on campus. He was there for an unofficial visit. They offered him while he was on campus. He seemed to really like USC and the West Coast. He says he's going to come back for another visit. I, I, I spoke with him. I'll have that story up within the next 24 hours. But USC seemed to make an impression on its first impression. So does definitely seems like USC is going to get another visit from him. But we'll see if that actually ends up being the case. He's out of Buford, Georgia. And again, he is a Georgia commit. So We'll see if they really get any traction moving forward because he is locked in early. Uh, Gerard, anything you want to add for those three notes? Good luck with Perlot. Uh, okay. Perlot, uh, that's obviously a difficult get for USC. From Georgia, from Buford, Georgia, already committed to Georgia. Uh, I chatted with him actually a little bit. He was real curious about who I was filming with and you know who I was filming, etc. I said, uh, you know, because I, I didn't recognize him off the hoof. And I said, uh, what, was, what was your name? I didn't catch your name. And he said, Jaden. Uh, and I said, oh, yeah, you're, you're committed to Georgia already. Goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, being out in L.A. He's like, yeah, man, it's real cool. Like, I love the vibe, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a tough one to uh, be able to flip from Georgia, certainly. Uh, speaking of you for Georgia, I actually talked to King Joseph Edwards, uh, the four-star athlete. 
who was scheduled to officially, or excuse me, unofficially visit USC this weekend, and it's not happening. He's still going to make an unofficial visit at some point this spring. Um, he's actually had, I think, two other scheduled unofficial visits here this year, and he hasn't been able to make them. So I think he's waiting, try to come in with, you know, maybe a, a group of guys, maybe a seven-on team or something of that nature. Um, but uh, he's not going to be uh, at USC this weekend, and that was uh, previously uh, what his plans were. So, um, yeah, we'll see, uh, you know, what else happens here, uh, you know, April, um, the big April 8th visit, the holy hour uh, on uh, Easter Passover weekend. How is that going to play into commitments? And, and, and are they going to make a big push to try to get a couple guys committed? Uh, it'll be, you know, just interesting to see, you know, how that big unofficial visit weekend happens and, and um, you know, if it's actually uh, impactful to the class. Or is that, you know, again, we talk about sort of one of those traction type visit weekends where you're just trying to get your foot in the door. You're trying to see, you know, who, who might be serious following up with visits. Uh, and, and who just, you know, wanted to take a trip out to L.A. And, you know, they kind of look around and go, OK, this is cool. But, you know, it's 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 not for me. I'm not going to seriously consider USC going forward. So you sort of filter and weed out some of those guys um, when you're trying to make your itinerary for the summer. Also, Virginia native Brandon Hillman, uh, who we talked about on the show last week, committed to Michigan. So that one was over before it really even started, Drug. Yeah, we talked about that. I mean, that got, was the vibe early on that, you know, USC was not really a player for him coming out of high school. They did offer him a scholarship, but, you know, within like a month, it was just you got the vibe like he's not going to take an official visit. He's not really looking uh, to come out to the West Coast. And so Michigan was the uh, the early leader for him. And, um, you know, Michigan's got uh, high academic standards, you know, like, like Notre Dame. And so the, the, the curious thing is what happened with him in the Notre Dame um, admissions department, because that was evidently the issue. And, and I can't imagine it being academically related if he can get into Michigan. So I don't know that that's an interesting one. I'm sure, you know, it's not sitting well with Notre Dame fans because you're losing uh, a top player in your class to a rival. And, and obviously that class sort of fell apart already uh, last season. So yeah, Notre Dame's in a, in a weird spot where um you know they're 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 kind of depending on a coach that it doesn't have he hasn't done it before he's never been a head coach before right marcus freeman at least from the standpoint of being coveted as a coordinator you know if we're trying to compare it to like clay helton at least he had that going for him you know when he was leaving cincinnati you know, lsu was after him notre dame was after him you know there was a bunch of different programs that really liked him now one thing that i always thought was curious and I, I think this just in general of all coordinators is who are you a coordinator under and if you're a coordinator under a coach which helps run that particular side of the ball or has a a background in that particular side of the ball i think that is less impressive than if you are let's say lincoln riley who, you know, you leave uh, 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 Texas Tech, you know, after uh, Mike Leach gets fired and you go and you coach for uh, Ruffin McNeil and then you coach for Bob Stoops, you're, you're coaching for defensive coaches. That means you're out there and, and you're pretty much running the offense. You know, if Bob Stoops is the head coach. He's not going to have a whole lot of say over your play calling or what you want to do in terms of your practice schedule, what, what drills you want to run, 
how you do things offensively is all on you, right? But, you know, when you're coming up and you are coaching on the defensive side of the ball and the head coach is a guy that has a great resume and a great reputation as a defensive coach, you know he's going to be involved in developing that defense. So you start to question whether that coordinator really knows what he's doing and he has the experience to run things on his own. I think the one of the exceptions to the rule, and there always are exceptions to the rule, but it's probably Kirby Smart, you know, because Kirby Smart spent all that time under Nick Saban. You really wondered, like, is Kirby Smart really, does he really know the defense? Is he really running the defense? Does he really know from scratch how to build that defense? Or is this really more Nick Saban? And obviously he's shown that, you know, he learned a lot from Nick. He took a lot from Nick, but he knew how to run that defense and he knew it from a core standpoint uh, that he can reproduce it somewhere else on his own and put his own stamp on it. And I, I think a lot of it, it's it's not so much about playbook and scheme. I mean, that's sort of the superficial upfront aspects of it. It's also about just the core mechanics of having to practice that particular scheme. I, I, I always cite how, you know, when USC started going to more of a spread scheme and they're using this mesh read look, but didn't have the personnel to run it and never really practiced it. I mean, they just didn't practice it the way that you see teams that run the read option, practice it. I mean, you go to Corona Centennial High School and you watch Matt Logan with the quarterbacks or running backs in the center and they have drills that they run and they got to do it like a hundred times in every single practice where they've got three quarterbacks lined up, three centers lined up, and they've got a running back on each side of the quarterback. And they all go at the same time and they drill it and they run it. And it's a rotation of sorts that they go and they go and they go and they go. And it's all just the fundamentals of the mesh. It's the relationship of running back and quarterback and what the quarterback is seeing, making that read, what the running back is seeing and how they get that handoff. And it, it's a very small, infinitesimal like aspect of the total offense, but it's such a fundamental part of the offense, getting the snap and getting the handoff or keeping the ball, making that read. And they just, they drill it, you know, time and time again. And you just didn't see that at USC because I think fundamentally at the core you know, Clay Helton just saw other people do it. it. It's almost like, you know, a sous chef and a chef relationship. You have that chef who's very popular. He has some great dishes. He's amazing. And then you have the sous chef who, who's under him for maybe, you know, two years and, and just watching him. And then, you know, the chef decides to leave and go somewhere else. And it's like, okay, so you have some of those recipes, right? You, you, you kind of seen the cookbook. You, you kind of know what goes in there. But are those dishes going to come out the same? because you saw how he prepared those dishes and you know what the ingredients are. No, there's a lot more nuance that goes into that, that there's the why that goes into it. Like, why did he use those ingredients? You know, what, what is it that, that makes that work together? And if you're not at the ground level of that thing and you haven't been experienced in doing it, whether it's from a player standpoint or a coaching standpoint and in those meetings and doing that's developed, then you don't have a sense for, how to practice it and make it right and, and the repetition it needs to get it done. So I think from a football standpoint, that was always missing from USC. Gerard, with a very Ryan food sort of analogy to wrap things up, the first half of our show, or I guess the, the main part of our show, Gerard, you ready to do some listener questions? I, I, I think so. I think I'm ready. Sometimes I'm not, and I don't realize it until we get midway through, but I feel right now that I'm ready. Sure. I, I I agree with you there because cool. the last couple of weeks, we've only had two combined questions over two shows. But 
Maybe people heard my call at the end and we got a bunch of questions. Not a bunch, but call a, a, sin- a significant amount of questions that we've had over the last like couple times we've done this. But just a reminder, if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite or 10K, Slauncher Boys, whatever the case, just so it gets ID'd for us and it will come to my mailbox, my inbox, whatever you call it. So, Gerard, let's run through some questions. I'm trying to pick the first one. I think we'll go with D from Central Valley, but he only has one question for us. He's usually a two-question asker, so I don't know if this is actually him or just an imposter. But D from the Central Valley asks, CT, out of these four DBs, can you pick two that you think USC has the best chance of getting commitments from? Marcellus Williams, Xavier Brown, Dakota Fields, or Selman Bridges? Thank you. So this one's for me. Off the spot, Gerard, you can comment on my decision or you can make your own picks. But for me, right now, I would say in order, the first two for me would be Selman Bridges and Dakota Fields, followed by Marcellus Williams, then Zabian Brown. That would be my order. And I guess if I'm just picking the two, I would be Selman Bridges and Dakota Fields. Interesting. Interesting. Selman Bridges, huh? I don't know much about Selman Bridges. I've never talked to Selman Bridges, so I really can't comment on how serious he is about USC as opposed to the Texas schools. I will say this. I think the best of the bunch, if you were to pick, probably Zamian Brown and Dakota Fields. I think mean, that's the two. Yeah, I could see that. Group. I could see that. I don't know. I, I mean, that might follow with their rankings, so I might not be saying anything groundbreaking there, but I don't know off the top of my head. But from what I've seen, I'd probably say Xavier Brown and Dakota Fields are, are probably the two that you, you would want the most. Uh, now, granted, some Bridges 6'3", great frame. You know, I haven't just seen as much of him or am as familiar with him. He seems very intriguing, but, you know, Dakota Fields, you kind of get some of that as well. I mean, he's a legit 6'2", 6'3", and a, a very long, uh, lean player, but uh, very good awareness. And we've seen him at various different events. And the last time we saw him, uh, you know, in terms of uh, competition against like a varied amount of different receivers and players was at that invite camp uh, where you had Jordan Addis, uh, Jordan Anderson and uh, a few other pretty good underclassmen receivers. And he, he was definitely a guy that stood out to us. And so an intriguing body type in and of itself. Uh, but I, I think, you know, that would be the two that uh, you probably have at the top of your board. Um, but some of Bridges, uh, intriguing. I'm going to have to go watch some more film with him. And uh, why do you think USC has such a good, uh, or I don't say such a good, but a better chance at Selman Bridges than maybe Zamian Brown? From what I've been told, Selman Bridges is very serious about USC. And USC has been recruiting him very, very hard. Even so much to say is that maybe that USC is the leader for Selman Bridges. So it seems like there's some very serious vibes from both sides. And it looks like USC is going to get an official visit. He took the unofficial visit a couple of weeks ago. So it looks like USC is going to be in position going to the summer. And that's just right now. Like if you made me guess right now, that's when I'm being asked the question. That could yeah. change. But I, I would say those would be the two, especially when you call me when you ask me about Bridges. Okay, good deal. Good deal. Moving on, this comes from For the West SC, which is a Peristyle user. He actually sent me a PM on the site. 
Hey, GM and 10K, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being clear skies and 10 being hurricane, do you think Brendan Rice will play his way into the first round in 2024? All the physical tools seem to be there, and we saw flashes of what his potential is last season. I'm just trying to get in on his stock early since 10K scooped up all of the Devin Tompkins stock. Thanks again for all your hard work. This is an interesting scale, so I don't know which one is the good one. I guess one is the <laughs> is the good side of this. So one is really, really good chance of being in the first round, 10 being not a great chance since it's a hurricane. But on this podcast, hurricanes are good. It's literally Gerard's <laughs> next. So maybe hurricane is the good and one is the bad. I don't know. I'm going to go with one is the good in this case because it is clear skies as opposed to 10 taking it in a weather base. I'm focusing too much on the scale. So what do we think? Brendan Rice plays way into the first round. I actually talked to Brendan Rice uh, yesterday at practice, and he had some interesting stuff to say. You know, he's six foot two. He's he's heavier than he was last season, about 212. He says he's bigger, faster, and stronger. He actually claimed he was the fastest player on the team that they all raced, and he won. I don't know if that's true. I need somebody else to confirm that on the team. I CC'd Zach Branch on a tweet because I would say <laughs> Zach Branch and maybe Damani Jackson would have won that race as, you know, two legitimate track guys, 10-2, 10-3 kind of range. But I do think Brendan Rice is fast. Makai Blackman even quote tweeted my tweet and saying, I-, I believe that Brendan Rice is up there. So he obviously has the last name. He has the pedigree. I think he would have to play multiple games like he did in the Cotton Bowl to be considered in the first round. And he sort of hinted that he plans to leave after this year. So I think he has, I would say, as the Cotton Bowl showed, the potential to be a first round draft pick. I don't think he's going to be a first round draft pick. I think he's firmly going to be drafted with another you know, solid season, a couple games like he had in Dallas. But he would need to put on like six or seven games like he was just going off on defenses. I think his ceiling is like third, maybe late second round. Uh, could he get in the first round? Sure. But I would say uh, seven on this scale that we were given of him playing himself into the first round. I do think you should buy stock, though. <laughs> Well, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. First and foremost, sure. the pedigree is not there when it comes to speed. So Jerry Rice was not known as a fast wide receiver. In fact, he dropped in the draft because he was more like a 4-7 guy. So anytime anybody says, yeah, man, we all had a race and I won, I'm always a little bit skeptical instead of here's my time and here's everybody else's time, right? So, yeah, I don't know if uh, he is uh, the fastest player on the team, you know, is he top five? I would question that. I do think uh, he's fast, though. Yeah, and that's a relative term, though, of, uh, you know, compared to what or who? Compared to Zach Branch, compared to Damani Jackson, who ran a 4-2? You know, uh, maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, nevertheless, uh, yeah, I think I'm up there at, at a 7 or an 8 for you. Uh, you know, it, hurricanes being these terrible things <laughs> that uh, you want to run from and board up your windows from. Uh, I would say, yeah, for sure, uh, not first round. I think, um, you know, uh, a, a good season for him would get him into the third or fourth round. I mean, if he can just, like, show to be a combine freak and, like, 
surprise everybody and he can actually run like four three at 215 pounds 220 pounds and you know we're, we're, we're probably talking like maybe second round third round right um uh, i think the consistency is the biggest question there and he's got to be consistent and he's got to be consistent among a group of pretty good receivers you know you, you're you're not going to be a guy that they're going to have to just throw the ball to you because there's nobody else there you've got mario williams you now mm-hmm. got dorian singer there You've got two freshmen that are coming in that are going to be wild players that people are going to want to see and perhaps could make some plays to where they weren't getting the ball more. You want to see more utilization from the tight end position. So there's a lot of competition for targets. So I don't know that Brennan Rice, is. I mean, he's got to have like out of the gates, the, the sort of cotton bowl level play, right? He's got to be that guy. And um, I just don't know if he's going to have that consistency where uh, he can have that film. And, and then again, you got to parlay that with a great combine at the same time. So yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably in the low scale of believing he's going to play himself into a first round pick. I think uh, at this point, if he's playing himself in the third, fourth round, that's pretty good. He had a pretty good season. Absolutely. Moving on to the next question. This one's more of a fun one. Yo, Chris, who dis? Uh, He has a link to a 24-7 sports profile to an Oscar Trevino. Is he on the radar? Do you have any strings you can pull? Can you get this guy a preferred walk-on offer, a certified two-star Trevino on the pot, and a certified two-star Trevino on the team? Laverne is right down the road, bros. Let's make it happen. I got... I got criticized for saying a city wrong last week. I hope I said that one right. He's a six foot three, two hundred twenty-five pound edge rusher at a Damian High School, and he is a confirmed two-star recruit per the twenty-four-seven Sports rankings, the number one hundred edge prospect. And who knows? With a name like Trevino, anything is possible. He could be a preferred walk-on for this upcoming twenty twenty-four cycle. Okay, I'm just saying it. It, it is a beautiful. Thing for someone to point out a two-star prospect with my last name that could be in the the literal roster uh, moving forward. Gerard. It's Oddly, great. There is a Gerard Martinez who is in the database at some point because every time I put uh, my name on photos, it always gets linked to a profile in the database. I, I have noticed that. I have noticed that when I do the stories because I write for this podcast. I write Gerard Martinez and it gets tagged. Yeah, I, I think it was a player that actually played for Notre Dame at some point, but I can't remember. I just remember it being a thing, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's 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 why. But um, nevertheless, um, I don't know where he is at this point, and uh, don't know much about Oscar Trevino, but we'll keep an eye out because you never we'll keep know. keep an eye out profile. for sure. Does he have a profile picture? In he does. He does. Okay, so we can eyeball him. We're going to search him out. We're going to find him. Damien is not too far from where I live. I can go up the road to Laverne. You said that properly. I don't know how you pronounce La Jolla. Maybe I just even missed it altogether <laughs> because you pronounced it. La Jolla. La Jolla. La Jolla. <laughs> you might have said La Jolla. La Jolla. And I, thought, and I was still thinking about that Nigerian kid that you were talking about. And I'm going, oh, it must be like La Jolla, Nigeria or something he's from. But um, Jolla Rice. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Tortillas. Anyways, uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye out for uh, Mr. Tarvino. I, I like that 
uh, Ryan Abraham, who, who's uh, also not great with pronunciation sometimes, actually goes out of his way to call you Chris Torino, uh every time he, he talks uh, to you on the podcast. And you you basically pronounce Oscar Torino like uh, you know you 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 you, you pronounced uh, La Hoja or whatever he said. Lajala, we're keeping Lajala. it that way. I can't even get, yeah. That's <laughs> he, like can't even, he can't even bring himself to say it incorrectly as bad as that. That was like the time when I, I told this story before when uh, one of the radio stations that does one of these giveaways or whatever, they had uh, they had mailed us that they were going to call the house and and uh, somebody called and they asked for uh, the Martin, is this the Mar- Martinez residence? And I answered the phone. I just got home from school and I answered the phone. And I'm like, Martinez? No. And I just hung up the phone because I was like, you got the wrong number. And then my mom's like, who is that? I was like, somebody asking for Martinez. And she's like looking at me. That's like, us. Martinez. That's the same thing. So, like, <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I can, you can write it out. I guess I can see that. But I'd never heard it pronounced like that ever. Yeah, I would get uh, from like uh, cold callers, whatever telemarketers, Treviano. I would get Treviano. Treviano. Well, that's, yeah, that's... um. Kind of twisting it a little bit there, I think. But yeah. okay, moving on, we have a question from Rich in San Diego. Team Mex, I know it's early in spring and and you barely started analyzing player positions, but considering incoming freshmen, transfers, and attrition, who do you think out of these players will hit the transfer portal come April sixteenth? Oh. Yes, four options here: <laughs> Shane Lee, Solomon Bird, Mason Murphy, Darwin Barlow. I would say none of those players. I mean, if I have to pick out of that group, I'd say Darwin Barlow. Um, Same. If you're forcing me, I would say Darwin Barlow. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I mean, we don't want to, like, uh, put it out there to, to try to, you know, uh, have the universe, you know, sort of uh, put it into existence sort of thing. Because I like Darwin Barlow. I mean, I've always sung his praises. I think he's a physical running back. I think he's very uh, decisive in, in how he runs and um, he brings a lot to the table, but certainly as a position and seeing his eligibility, you know, I could see him uh, competing uh, this spring and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the guy. And so I'm going to move on sort of thing uh, more so than those other players. I think there's too many questions at Ed Rusher. Certainly Solomon Bird played last year and, and had some success. Shane Lee, also played last year. He's looked at as a team leader, even though, you know, in the discussion of, okay, what's the next step for this defense to improve? We often talk about Tackett Curtis, you know, playing. We talk about Mason, uh, uh, Mason Cobb. For some reason, I was thinking Mason Webb, but Mason Cobb. They're talking um, about Mason Murphy. Yeah, Mason Murphy. But no, no, Mason Cobb is a linebacker, you know, and, and how he, um, you know, gets into the lineup and, and, and whether he's playing Will, he's playing Michael, we're talking all these other players, mainly because Shane Lee, I just think from the standpoint of this defense and how they're used, um, he's more of a sort of north-south plugging uh, inside linebacker who, you know, against some teams, I think, you know, he can be utilized. I think against Utah, he had actually a pretty good game in the first game. He's played well in some games um, because of, of his style, but he's not a three-down linebacker. He's not a three down linebacker and USC tries to use him as a three down linebacker. And when they had uh, those injuries and, and particularly with uh, Eric Gentry going down, you know, you kind of saw, okay, <laughs> Shane Lee is not a three down linebacker, but he got put out there uh, in some situations. And so, um, you know, I think just because he, he, he has such a, I mean, he is a guy that's a team leader, even though, you know, he might not be, 
the factor, you know, that 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 is going to make this defense better next year. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think uh, it would be it'd be surprising if he left. You know, I, I just think uh, from the the talent they have and the new guys they have coming in and the rotation and, and sort of who's been used and who hasn't been used. I I, I could just it would think it would be bar. Uh, yeah, I would think Darren Barlow would be the guy that would more likely um, decide that, you know, he's going to go his last year or two somewhere else. And our next question comes from AJ for Chris and Gerard. There is no guarantee that your Oregon fans will have any decent ability to see them play, even though the pact whatever appears lost in a murky quagmire of uncertainty that they will even continue to exist. Oregon appears to continue doing well with recruiting. Has SC's move to the Big Ten been a benefit to their recruiting? Is this a talking point with recruits or who have listed Oregon as a favorite? Thank you. You two are the best. I love your podcast, no matter how long it is. Thank you, AJ. So rereading yeah, the for question. Sure. For sure. I mean, I asked your question right off the bat. It's it's been beneficial uh from a from a narrative standpoint, because just this past weekend, we had you know, a, a few of those guys on the East Coast uh, that are coming in and taking their first visits to USC, uh, whether it be David Stone or Trent Wilson or J- uh, Jalen Harvey, um, they talked to them about moving to the Big Ten and the fact that they're going to be uh, playing multiple games in, in that region that's going to be much closer to Maryland, much closer to the East Coast, in the Midwest, and that their friends and family are going to be able to see them multiple times a year. And so that's something that USC has put out there. And that is something that the recruits have told us, like, that's, that's, that's a big deal to, to me. That's actually something that um, I'm really excited about. And that's, that's really cool. And that's uh, one of the, 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 the highlights of the conversation and considering USC going forward. So absolutely, at least at face value, that's something that is helping them. Now, you know, I've heard rumors that Oregon is telling kids, oh, no, no, we're going to the Big Ten too. You know, we're, we're, we're right up there. And of course, you know, Oregon football's, you know, it's, it's big time and, and you know, they're not, they're not going to leave us out sort of thing. Um, you know, recruiting is very sort of like right here, right now. And, and coaches will say whatever they got to say, you know, at the right here, right now in the moment to, to, to win over, you know, kids. And, and you see it all the time. You see guys that, that are that are good recruiters and they're like, man, you know, you're going to come in here. You're going to play right away. You're going to catch 80 balls as a freshman, whatever it is. And then that coach is gone after signing day. I mean, it, it's just. It's salesmanship, man. So um, we haven't seen what the fallout of that would be. If Oregon is indeed on the outside looking in and let's say the Pac-12 disintegrates and it ends up being part of the Big 12, you know, what's that going to look like? And how does Oregon sell that? And, and is it still something that, you know, they can pitch and say, hey, look at, you know what? We're part of the Big 12 now. You're going to be able to go down to Texas, recruit a bunch of Texas kids. Say, oh, you, you know, we're going to be playing in Texas more often. We're going to be playing in Dallas. It's going to be huge. And that's still going to be this great conference. And, you know, we're going to be even more dominant now because we're playing against these other schools that are more mid-tier. You know, Texas and Texas A&M are not going to be in the Big 12. You know, the, the, those, those bigger schools, the two biggest schools, uh, the three biggest schools, quite frankly, that are involved in Texas recruiting are no longer going to be in the Big 12. You know, it's not going to be Oklahoma. It's not going to be Texas A&M. It's not going to be Texas. So you know, we can go down there and we can dominate and, and, and maybe the wins and losses, you know, if they're able to actually, you know, get in the college football playoff because it's expanded and they're able to have, you know, easier way to get in there, 
maybe, you know, Oregon can, can turn this thing and, and, and actually, you know, benefit from it. You don't know. We, we really don't know until we get there. Or perhaps Oregon, you know, becomes a part of the Big Ten. I have heard nothing about Oregon being a part of the Big Ten personally. I've heard some talk about Washington. Heard a lot of talk about Stanford. Uh, very little about other schools, quite frankly. It's just, the, you know, mostly Stanford and a little bit of Washington, um, but not not anything about Utah or Oregon or, or any of these other schools. Um, so we'll see, you know, how, how that goes down. But um, right here, right now, it's like, you know, that's a million years away. In, in recruiting time, you know, it's a million years away. It's, it's, it's just, it not, doesn't matter. And, and, you know, the Oregon coaches will say whatever they're going to say. And, you know, kids will be there and they'll take their visits and, and they'll be excited about Oregon. And, and yeah, it's, it'll be like, hey, man, yeah, that's in the future. And, you know, we're, we're, we'll be fine. We'll be in a big time conference. You'll get all the exposure and, uh, and you'll get all the uniforms and all the facilities and everything like that. And so it might be hard to, to believe even or even, you know, to, to put into like a frame of reference for a kid who's 16, 17 years old, like what that's going to look like big picture for the Oregon football program. And the last question comes from Mike in the Bay Area. The question is for the Cilantro Boys, a.k.a. Hurricane, Chris Trevino, and all their miscellaneous aliases. You mentioned in a recent podcast USC might be looking for some depth at the defensive back position. As part of the ASU exodus, the Markham Twins have entered the portal. As far as I'm aware, they have a few years of eligibility left. They're both from SoCal and were at one time recruiting targets for USC. What are your thoughts on pulling them out of the portal if Keon and Kiwan are still available. Fight on Mike in the Bay Area. I believe they were targets, but that was for the previous staff. They do obviously have SoCal roots. They are both from Long Beach Poly. But if you're only looking for one defensive back, I feel like they're kind of a package deal where they would want to go together. And I don't think you want to take two with the limited scholarships you do have in trying to bulk up your defensive front. I don't think you want to spend two scholarships just to get one defensive back if that makes sense yeah where are they eligibility wise are they sophomores i think they they're pretty young uh they're pretty young I, i'm not sure i i have heard that they you know they had to take a step back from the program for for some stuff going on off the field so i don't really know exactly what their situation was but yeah i think they they were in the 2019 class so they at least have that COVID year. I mean, they could be redshirt juniors at the, at this point. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, with USC, they do have a lot of those sophomores that are going into their junior year of eligibility. Obviously, with COVID, it, you know, sort of makes things harder to figure out, you know, how much eligibility they actually have and what have you. But, I, you know, they are starting to get to a point where you've got a little more upperclassmen than you've had. I mean, USC has been very young in the secondary the past two years. And so some of those guys are going to start filtering through the program. Um, but I think that's going to be more of a high school thing. And I don't think at this point, you know, right here, right now, that transfers from defensive backs, unless it's just like can't miss type player mm -hmm. uh, that you feel like could come in and can compete uh, for Makai um, Blackman's spot you're probably not looking uh, to bring in, um, you know, safeties or anything of that nature that, like I said, are, are, are like older players at this point. Now, of course, you know, next cycle, 
you know, again, if it's like a, a can't miss guy that can come in for Kalen Bullock and take that starting spot, that's a that's a guy that's a proven commodity. That's always going to be the temptation for these schools. You know, that's that's what's always going to be interesting to see what fork on the road here. You know, what direction are you taking if you're USC? You know, is it it's hard to turn down a potential guy that can play for you immediately? You know, and and the question comes bigger picture, long term. What does that do for your culture? You know, can you continue to do that and and have sort of a mercenary roster, um, or, or is that a detriment to to building a champion that year in year out is playing at the top of college football? Because as we said, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State—they're not doing that. They're not bringing in a dozen, you know, fifteen guys from the portal every every year. Even though Alabama had seventeen guys leave. And only at this point brought in two transfers. So they went big with the high school ranks. And I think they had something like a 28-man class from the high school ranks this past cycle. And I'm sure, you know, they will add on if, if there's other players that come through the transfer portal that in this next May 1st window are can't-miss type players. But for the most part, it's been very much sort of cherry-picking and going after guys like Henry to Oto'o guys that you feel like can play right away and be good players for you as opposed to, you know, kind of widening that net and getting guys that you feel like can compete for starting spots or are good players that can come in from a rotational standpoint, which is more where USC still is, it seems, uh, where you might be going. And, and some of these guys might be more depth guys. Some of these guys are guys that are, for, you know, for sure starters. Um, you know, Alabama, Georgia. Ohio State. Those those programs are kind of going for guys that they feel like they're going to be all Americans. You know that they're bringing in for transfers because, again, they're recruiting still pretty heavily out of the high school ranks. Okay, Gerard, that wraps up our show. Our listener questions. That is all. Thank you so much for people that submitted. And here we are at the end of our show, Gerard. We've we've had a brisk two hours and sixteen minutes, which is uh, I think it's a solid short end of our a shorter version of our podcast yeah okay well we had a very long opening <laughs> to the podcast the cold open was uh it got warm you know after a while it, it sat it, out yeah it got warm yeah, it sat out a bit and we jumped around all kinds of different players and people are going to be in the database and you're trying to figure out okay where's this guy who's this guy he's talking about and uh, just hopefully you know they could follow along a bit and um, again, you know, hey, if you have any questions, I can always follow up on the Peristyle, the P. And uh, we've written up, you know, uh, various interviews with, with a lot of these players that, that talk to them personally. And um, they get more in depth into their unofficial visit to USC. So, you know, you can always follow up uh, with that. And, um, you know, we're kind of introducing some of these guys like Trent Wilson, you know, that, that are, are looking at USC, that USC is offered scholarships to. And I think it's, you know, big to, to, to be able to see them. And we have the video that went up. That's free. You can watch all the defensive reps, and we'll put up offensive line as well um, of, of all those players so you get to see what they bring to the table athletically and then, you know, follow up with the actual interviews so you get to hear, you know, why they like USC, what they're interested in, and, and what they're looking forward to in a college. So it, it sort of, um, you know, kind of brings it together. It's multi-dimensional, Chris. It's, it's a multi-dimensional coverage that we do here at uscfootball.com 
and you can actually get 50% off an annual membership. If you're one of the filthy casuals who listen to this podcast and you're not a member of the Peristyle, we have a sale going on right now. 50% off an annual membership to uscfootball.com. That expires tomorrow uh, at 9 p.m. on Thursday. So you have a, a little bit of time before you can get there if you're listening to this on a Thursday. Just just join us up. Get us on the Peristyle. You can help Gerard whenever you want. Gerard, before we get out of there, I did want to ask you about doing a piece that we did several years ago that no Uh-oh. one cared about. Is it, is it is it the piece that I think you're going to ask? The piece that took so much time to do each, I don't know, each edition we did. We did like four or five of them. I can't remember. And got like probably in total like three. 20 responses. views. <laughs> The draft, the oh. draft of the class. I, I thought maybe remember when remember the landscape of the time we were doing this draft when yeah. everyone was angry and recruiting was not great. Even if there was some players committed, st- nobody really believed in USC recruiting. It was a paper tiger, Clay Helton. But if you don't know what we're ta- talking about, excuse me, me and Gerard did this. Very in-depth piece. Multiple hours went into it where we were actually drafting from players USC has offered, building our own 2024 classes for USC. And the only players that were eligible were players that USC has offered. And we put a lot of effort and a lot of work into it. And then, like, nobody read it. Like, nobody cared. And I I thought... I. I still had fun doing it, but I was a little disappointed that no one read it. But now I'm bringing it back. You know, the the slate is clean for USC's 2024 class. You know, Joey Olsen's the only one in there right now. So the the slate is the slate is clean. So we could bring it back. It's a different age of USC recruiting. Lincoln Riley. So I think we'd have a lot more eyeballs to read this piece. So I'm just I'm just pitching you right now on the show while we have some extra time. Is this uh, – this is what we're doing with our extra time? So <laughs> is this for the podcast like we do it on the podcast or is no. this that we actually write out? No, I think this is actually right. Uh, I need those those content numbers, Gerard. Okay. I think I'm going to pass on the latter because it just – it takes too much time for what it is. Like you, you say you need those content numbers. That, that, that feature takes too much time. For what you get out of it. It's like, you know, you could write probably five stories based on interviews in the time it takes to sit there and do your analysis and explain why you picked this guard over this defensive tackle or whatever it is. You know, like I remember we went through it and it was like we we also analyzed each other's picks as to, okay, you know, Chris picked this guy. And it was what class was that for, though? Was that for the 2020 class? Because we're kind of like I don't. No, it was not 2020. It was not a COVID piece. I, I know yeah. that for sure. Yeah. I don't even know what we called it. I'm trying to think back. I think it was I think it was something with draft in the middle. Let's see. Yeah, it was like the target draft or something of that nature. Something like that. So you're and saying was, you would do it as a podcast segment? Maybe it would be just a little quicker, you know, to just like do and then explain, okay, this is who I'm picking. And we did it. We did it. In, in various parts, right? Because we did right. I, th- I think I think we did like the first second round, yeah. 
Yeah. Third round, something like that. Yeah, like first, second, and then third, fourth, fifth, or something. And then I'm trying to go we went back. Built, basically built a class, and it was a little different than it would be a normal draft because you're kind of having to draft like a team within a team, sort of. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember. I remember that means he didn't hate it. I felt really good about my team because I got like a really good offensive line. I'd like to look back, actually. I'm actually I'm trying to find it right now in the system. Those classes just to see like how some of those guys panned out. I just remember getting two offensive tackles right out of the bat, and I was like, I can't believe Chris gave up. But you actually you recruited Latham. Who is um was it um JT? Oh, here we go. I found it. I found it. Uh. So I, we went to the seventh round. Do we have our? Let me see if I can click on this. Uh, we should have listed each round before that. This, in the, this, in the, in the, this. Actually, we shouldn't even. We should save this for the show, or this is turning into a whole nother segment uh, here, where we go through where. Okay, so who do you think? Oh my gosh, I'm looking at my first pick. Do, who do you think your first pick was oh. and my first pick was? I can't even you're, remember. You're right. It's a tackle. It is a tackle. You got a tackle. It was. And you picked Latham and your team. That, that ended up being pretty good. That was a good pick. Uh, but you didn't pick him first. That was like later. He was he was my second round. He was my second round. Wait. Hold on. I'm trying to. Well, he was like yeah, he was my round. second round pick. He was my second round pick. Okay. Okay. I can't remember, dude. I can't remember who's even in that class to even pick what class that was. No, I yeah yeah. Um, but it was I I went like offensive tackle like early. I was like I'm gonna get this done because I know the need is there. USC was already whiffing on offensive tackles, and so you know we were building for USC. I mean this is like a class for USC, so it's you know from that aspect it's similar to the NFL draft, but from the you it's it's different because of the pool of talent and. Um, there's obviously just a bunch of different nuances, but and, and it's and it's limited to who USC was recruiting and, and offered. So it was kind of limited to their evaluations of who they thought was good to offer. And there was obviously guys that were like, we were thinking like, man, I would draft that guy, but they didn't offer him a freaking scholarship. So what the heck? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who who did who, who were the first few. Okay, drafts? I'll go, I'll go over the picks and then we'll just do the first. In second round, if people want us to go through our other rounds, maybe we'll do that next episode. But yeah, we need my... just some feedback, just like in the in the the composite podcast thread. If you think this would be an interesting thing to cover, whether it be in the podcast or actually do a, a feature with, then please make it make it known because the feedback we got when we did it, uh, it leads me to believe that we should not do anything like that ever again. <laughs> it was a 2021 class, so think about what was going on at that time, but. My first overall pick was Corey Foreman. Okay. okay. I took Corey Foreman with my first pick. And Gerard, you took Tristan Lay with your first pick out of Fairfax, Virginia. I think you have won the end of that pick. Yeah. Uh, You, I think you're you're crushing this in the second round. You took JT Tuomalau. Yes. Yes. I so you I went with two offensive tackles, but I guess I went offensive tackle, defensive tackle. Yeah, I don't remember I, at all what I, who I picked. And then I went JC JC Latham with my first my first pick. So we both yeah. went trenches. We started yeah. off early with the trenches. I your combination is crushing mine at this point. Uh, with JT looking like a surefire first round, and I don't think Tristan has no, blown I, up yet. No. But 
Latham might be have blown up yet. I didn't don't know. Tristan, Tristan, didn't Tristan Lay just transfer? No. Did he? No. I, I, I don't know. But I still like your picks over mine. Just <laughs> I like my picks over yours, like, initially. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> well, maybe the next time around they would. And then for the second pick of the second round, you went J.J. McCarthy, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And then I went running back Travion Henderson. Okay, that wasn't bad. That's a good. Okay. That was. A, I liked okay. him. I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, Tristan Lay is still at Clemson, and so play twenty. Uh, played fifty snaps. Uh, in five games. Yeah, he hadn't, he he hadn't done much. He hadn't done a whole he lot. He hasn't popped. No. No. And J.C. Latham. Yeah, he's he's good. He, he's, he's good. Clemson. Yeah, he's. That's so we better. so we might be a little bit even with our first three picks here, but you you got JT two allowed, so I think you you have the overall winner of this group. But yeah, looking back, it, it's fun. We should go back again next episode and, and go through our third through seventh rounds and see what happened. Yeah, because that's where the draft is made, right? <laughs> that's where the draft is made. But I remember like scouring offers, be like, let's I I, I can grab this guy with my pick. And making little boards, it, it was fun. I, I find it fun. I, I know it was time-consuming, but I, I did get enjoyment out of it. And again, yeah, if you want us to do this as a podcast version or maybe, uh, you know, do it actual for an actual piece to write up, maybe we could just do, like, first and second round one episode, and the next week we come back and do the, the third round and the fourth round. We have our discussion, conversation, whatever. Uh, just an idea for a future as we move into the summer and the rest of spring. We shall see. We shall see. But that wraps up another edition of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. I'm Chris. That is Gerard. We will catch you next time on Composite Two-Star Recruits. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.